0: It's tech, it's exciting, it's young people, it's crowdsourcing. It's not practical. It's socialism. It's dangerous.
1: You can't afford it. And if I may, I'd like to quote one of my favourite poets, Percy Bysshe Shelley. The line I like the best is this one. Rise like lions after slumber in unvanquishable number. Shake your chains to earth like dew, which in sleep had fallen on you. Ye are many... They are few.
2: Opposing the, the government and opposing the Conservatives. I'm afraid it's the hard left who want to tighten their control. They want to uh, sideline uh, moderate forces. We don't think anybody should be surprised about that is the nature of the hard left. And of course we know that the hard left famously cannot tolerate any you dissent. Well, we know who the hard left are in the you know, ascendancy I, I, within, the, the, within the Labour Party who associate with the hard left. You just said that we were right Greece. to right wing. The hard left agenda. Printing money, nationalisation without compensation—a sort hard left-wing position. Hard left, hard left to the hard left, 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 hard left, hard left, the hard left, the hard left, the hard left, 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 hard left
3: It's like a Shadow Cabinet meeting.
4: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You excited? Uh,
3: So excited. It's going to be a tasty episode.
5: Oh, for God's (laughs) sake.
4: we're gonna spill the
5: beans just gonna edit out literally every utterance of the word tasty
3: yeah yeah put like some word over it or like... just
5: like bleep it and make everyone think you said cunt
4: yeah <laughs> how much of the book did you get to read laura
3: four or
5: five I got pages halfway through chapter three that's all right like that,
3: that's not bad yeah
4: that might be better than me i've read 40 pages i think
3: but you both loved it so far obviously
4: oh of course yeah. man <laughs> <laughs>
3: Wouldn't it be great if you both hated it And this was a real Politique episode Where you smashed a left winger?
5: <laughs> Actually We think the earthquake wasn't real and this Yeah, is yeah.
4: yeah. <laughs> Like uh, here, Here's some Fucking, oh, no I was going to say Here's some dog shit article in the New Statesman To prove my my point
5: Oh but sadly it's behind a paywall Now yeah. so we yeah. can't even
4: I got my mum to pick me up a copy when she was out <laughs> Yesterday <laughs> Well, the
5: I'm, copy I'm of the New that <laughs> um, double barreled makes his mum buy him copies of the yeah. New Statesman magazine.
4: <laughs> well, anyway, I re- <laughs> I read the whole thing cover to cover and posted oh. a lot of screenshots, so none of my Twitter followers have to buy it or get their mums to buy it. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: <laughs> As a man of the people, now that there's a paywall, you should get it every week and post <laughs> Every page on Twitter.
4: Yeah. <laughs> just subscribe to those. Well, what what <laughs> I what I find remarkable.
5: It's like, yeah. Let's actually just start giving them money.
6: <laughs>
5: yeah.
4: Yeah. Great idea. <laughs> but I, I read through the whole thing and I, I, you know, it had stuff like the full-page advert for the Radicals UK. Yeah,
3: I saw that. Yeah.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
3: what
5: those concepts have got like a hundred Twitter followers?
4: Yeah, I think I think so actually. What? But the funny uh, thing was, but the last time I bought a copy of the New Statesman several months ago. It also had a full page ad for the Radicals UK.
3: Yeah. Is that the same radicals that was founded by the FT guy? Oh.
4: Or is this different
5: radicals, radicals UK?
4: This might be a different one, you know. Oh my God. But I know. Wait, that... is
5: it is it Radicals UK or Real what the fuck is Real Radicals UK? Is real... it some
4: Trevor Bastard thing? Real Radicals UK was founded by Simon Hedges.
5: <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> 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 I was close enough with the camera mask it's (laughs) all
3: going a bit Irish troubles these uh, real and uh, non-real radicals
4: (laughs) UK hang
5: on so radicals UK they're on Twitter with the bio a pro-tech pro-Europe social-liberal movement yeah yeah
4: it's tech it's
5: exciting it's young people it's crowdsourcing crowdsourcing. they haven't tweeted since October though (laughs) you
3: know the one that's in the new statesman I think that's a different one that doesn't have any online pages or anything which shows how true Radical, they are. (laughs) They only gather members from the New Statesman's one page A4 advert.
5: what, yeah, what a party know. that would be
3: yeah. i just Googled it the first article that comes up is from The Spectator and the headline okay. is the real radicals are now on the right and the left can't stand it
5: <laughs> amazing, was that written by Brendan O'Neill?
3: <laughs> no, he's too busy teaching Stormzy about grime
5: oh yeah, yeah yeah. we need a new grassroots grime movement because yeah. uh, Stormzy's too posh says Brendan O'Neill
4: <laughs> did you see that tweet about people calling people like, I quote people like Stormzy and John Major established <laughs> <that or
5: something>.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I think they're on the exact same level and it's really unfair of anybody to take the mick out of John Major
5: <laughs> Yes I agree John Major actually pretty left-wing guy
3: <laughs> Well, John
5: Major, that former conservative prime minister that yeah. literally made the 90s hell for everyone <laughs> pretty cool
4: guy. Well is Tony Blair not quoted in his memoir A Journey, which I'm currently reading yeah. <laughs> or
5: rather, I have no idea because I never read that book.
4: <laughs> I'm listening to an audiobook of it actually, I'm not actually reading it but isn't Tony Blair quoted as saying the incumbent prime minister John Major, who I actually thought was a lot better than most Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah. Like, of course you did yes. mate, because yeah. you're fucking tour.
3: Although it just shows what a fucking opportunist Blair is, is that he yeah. he loved Thatcher and then Major comes along and he abandons his main gal yeah. to suck up to the new prime minister.
4: Well, you know, I guess John Major also abandoned Thatcher opportunistically. <laughs> <laughs> Great minds.
5: Yeah, to be fair, actually, John Major's a really radical and cool guy because he did the worst thing to Thatcher out of anyone. He, he actually managed to boo her out, so... Yeah, yeah I totally agree.
4: It's like when George Osborne snakes Theresa May. It's like, yeah, I totally love George Osborne now. Walk George Osborne. <laughs> Tom, sorry you couldn't make it tonight, Liam. He's, like, he's up in Leicester or something. No problem. And Yaya's been off on his holidays, smoking legal weed in California. Tasty. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Very tasty. Okay.
3: Note that young people should not smoke weed or consume any drug. It is awful and <laughs> terrible, and it is not part of the quake.
4: I, I am, I am. But it is also tasty. <laughs> I am fully against the drugs, all of the drugs. Real RealPolitik is, is a drug-free podcast. This is a,
3: a drugs with a Z. Drug-free drug,
5: drug zone.
4: <laughs> well, we do, to be fair, as the music critic Joe Muggs has pointed out quite uh, oh, okay. strenuously, we do enjoy putting a Z at the end of uh, any words. You know, <laughs> Real
5: politics. Yeah, exactly. Real <laughs>
4: politics. Joe Muggs' mates are all cunts. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Like, we're, we're, we're the number one podcast on the British left for bees. Yeah. <laughs> Richard Dawkins thinks he cares about honey. Well, fuck you, man. Like, you're not even trying.
3: (laughs) Was it Richard Dawkins earlier?
4: I didn't really hear what you said, Laura, apart from Richard Dawkins' crack pipe.
5: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what? That's probably funny, so.
3: <laughs> Oh, I don't know if it was Dawkins earlier who had this really... I'm just trying to find it now. It oh, about no, it eating was. eating people? Yeah, yeah, so fucking...
5: Oh, Dickie so, Dawkins done some more tweets?
3: Yeah, there was like that article from The Independent about lab-grown meat. And oh, Richard Dawkins welcomed it, really looking forward to it. And then below the link posted... What if human meat is grown? Could we overcome our taboo against cannibalism? <laughs> An interesting test case for consequentialist morality versus yeah. reaction absolutism. <laughs> this is a man who is still taught in British secondary schools.
5: Yeah. <laughs> this is a man that still lectures at Oxford University. Yeah, right true. <laughs> yeah. That's a study him as part of my fucking degree. He's taught to first year anthropology students. Oh man! <laughs> I know it was fucking awful.
4: I hope that our editor Tom Dissonance, who's currently off in America on holiday doing uh, a fun thong- yeah yeah he's doing a fundraiser for a radio show that I forget the name of it begins with a oh, W. Yeah.
2: You're tuned into WFMU.
4: It's pretty cool. I've told him to invite the independent rock band Yola Tango Tengo onto Politic.
5: Yeah. Uh- <laughs>
4: But yeah, yeah, Tom always has a great time there. But yeah, I'm hoping that... Well, he tweeted that he started writing after a long period where he didn't write anything for it, his musical about the life and times of Richard Dawkins and and the tragic incident in which he got his pot of honey taken away at an airport.
1: (laughs) I had a little jar of honey I could not wait to taste but they took my honey from me, oh what a stupid waste oh fie upon security and the rules that they obey I had a little jar of honey but they took my honey away no thanks to the rule-bound dundridges in the world's airports each day. My daughter, my son, bin Laden has won, for they took my honey away. They took my honey away. No thanks to the rule-bound dundridges in the world's airports each day. My daughter, my son, the terrorist won, when they took his honey away. They took his honey away. I've written some marvellous theories and seen some things in my time, not least of which was a dog and bitch indulging in full six-nine. But for all my witnessed wonders, I never thought I'd see the day when a precious jar of honey would be simply thrown away. No thanks to the rule-bound dundridges in the world's airports each day. My daughter, my son, bin Laden has won, for they took my honey away. They took my honey away. No thanks to the rule-bound dundridges in the world's airports each day. My daughter, my son, the terrorist won, when they took his honey away. They took his honey away.
3: This is a, a musical that I would like to feed into. Well, maybe, yeah. maybe
4: we'll do it as our next real politic production after the Tim Farron play. Definitely. <laughs> we'll have to hook up, like, a West End theatre as
3: well.
5: <laughs> <laughs> <I'll
4: help>. <laughs> <laughs> I mean,
3: the revolution will have happened by
4: then, so we'll have...
3: Yeah, it definitely
5: out. will have by time yeah. Jack finishes his fucking play. <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs> look, 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 i finish, <laughs> I finished writing the play, like, already. Like, the... The look <laughs> look 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 Look! Tom says he'll start recording the narration on Monday so Oof. we'll include this bit in the episode if Tom doesn't start recording his narration fans get at him go to his house like the Daily Mail journalist did
3: <laughs> <laughs> and also <laughs> Whilst we're forcing him to do this, I'm more than happy to read one more Richard Dawkins tweet to give him some inspiration. Here we go, then. It's a key philosophical question. Good idea to beam erotic videos to theocracies, (gasps) not, capitals, violent, woman-hating porn, but loving, gentle, woman-respecting eroticism.
5: (laughs) I fucking love Horny Dawkins. I think it's... hour on twitter it's better than
4: the mason hour (laughs) it's just like he's just drunk as fuck on honey the
5: the dawkins (laughs) horn hour
4: (laughs) he's just buzzing so hard and all the natural sugar from his like just pot after pot of honey speaking of horny middle-aged centrist men (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh. <laughs> Did you see Jolly and Morgan's recent tweet, which was something to the effect of... He was quote-tweeting something, it was probably, like, some boring shit about Brexit, but he was quote-tweeting something where someone was saying something quite unrealistic, and Jollyon was just like, well, I'd like to spend the night with Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> but, I'm, but I'm being realistic here. <laughs> It's like, yes, you're an arch-realist, Julian just wanting to stop Brexit. Hell.
3: Scarlett Johansson is a Leninist as well, so... <laughs> <laughs>
4: he wants to spend a night with her in the occupied territories. Oh. <laughs> the, the fact, the fact, the, what was it? it as like Soda Stream or something, that factory that...
2: Yeah. <laughs> you, you think I'm
3: joking, though, but there genuinely is, or talk of anyway, or there used to be, DiCaprio playing Lenin oh. in a film. And uh, Joe Hanson was tipped to play Lenin's wife. (laughs) (laughs) This is something I've been following for months, so, you know, please (laughs) have some respect.
4: Nothing but respect for my president. Vladimir, it's you, know, <laughs> you, Leonov.
5: <laughs> Nothing but respect for my president, Nadezhda Kropskaya <laughs>
4: <laughs> Nothing but respect for my president, Leonardo DiCaprio. No. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, well, I mean, true... I, don't, I don't have a problem He's with him. A... Is yeah. he problematic, DiCaprio? I don't know. He's pretty good on the environment. Yeah, like that's the only sort of political opinion that I know him as having.
5: He's probably just like a centrist, like a liberal, like all famous Americans.
4: Oh, he definitely is problematic then, fuck him. Yeah. (laughs) Just briefly, we've got loads of just chat that's got, we haven't even introduced our lovely guest yet, but I was just going to say, I assumed that the young Karl Marx film that's coming out would just be a load of crap where it's completely, like, red-washed or whatever. Mm -hmm. They, you know, don't focus at all on his politics, and it's just, like, some boring, like, romantic coming-of-age film where the kid happens to just... Karl Marx, but apparently it's actually good and it's by her leftist director who's done some really interesting sounding films. So, one to look at. Yeah, out I was
5: going to go on a date to see it. I don't know what happened to that.
4: <laughs> That's interesting that a conservative was up for going to see that. He's though. a Marxist!
5: <laughs> 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 oh,
3: or <sorry, it> <laughs> so he says.
4: Okay. Hello, everyone. You... Right.
5: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what was that? Sorry, sorry. Go, go. <laughs>
4: Jesus Christ! How many times have people done the Paul Mason Paul with a sign meme, but with like yeah. pee is stored in the balls? <laughs> <laughs> Hi everyone, you're listening to the Real Politic podcast with me, Jack Crane Reed at Uber Coca on Twitter, and my co-host Laura Jollian Tid. Thanks
5: to wait, you're Copland resident, not Uber Coca. Oh fuck!
3: <laughs> oh my. How many Twitter accounts do you lot have? I'm stuck in the past.
5: I actually
4: don't have many Twitter accounts. There was this period when like that Nobed Momentum Trumpton. Or well, sorry, yeah. he, 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 he bottled <laughs> running the Momentum Trumpton parody account and What is he
5: now? It's just he's like changed it. He's it?
4: just like Mo. It's just yeah, it's, yeah. it's just like some shit centrist comedy thing with a, an unhealthy obsession with 1970s kids TV shows.
6: Yeah. <laughs>
3: I have a theory that some of those accounts are, like, very important people.
4: Yeah.
5: Oh, grim.
4: I think you could be right there, because some of them, like, are run out of Tory HQ. Some of them are probably, like, run out of a Blairite PR firm. But some of them, I reckon, are just... Fucking losers, just embittered. Run out of prison. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Run out of prison. Just embittered centrists who, like, yeah. got sent down and just, <laughs> just, you know, in, like, the IT wing of Wormwood Scrubs, just fucking, like, Jack Corbin, <laughs> he loves ISIS. <laughs> <laughs> so, and you can find Laura at This Geordie Lass on Twitter, and as she correctly pointed out, I am at Copland Resident, not at uber Coke, sadly deceased account r.i.p r.i.p and our guest today is none other than liam young the author of the forthcoming book rise which i mean it, who knows by the time i've edited this episode rise might even have come out but it's out on the 8th isn't it liam
3: the 8th of march indeed
4: And it's a book that deals with the youth movements around Jeremy Corbyn, Mm -hmm. the so-called youth quake, and how he's been able to generate this level of excitement and political engagement in a demographic that is quite often dismissed as not really that concerned with politics, or at least was prior to 2017. Liam is also a journalist who's written for places such as Friends of the Show, of The New Statesman <laughs> The Independent I, I think you still write for The Independent quite a lot, don't
3: you? I'm a columnist at The Eye, which isn't The Independent oh, anymore Apology, but yeah. yes No, a, a, apology accepted
4: <laughs> Can you, uh,
5: rela- you really keep up to date with the mainstream media on this podcast
4: Yeah, um, relay that apology back to Mr Lebdev for me, please
6: <laughs> <laughs> Liam <laughs>
3: I know I'm surprised that like, I don't have more Kremlin-based theories leveled at me rather than uh, <laughs> <like> <laughs> the, the, the alt-left media. <laughs> yeah shit some of our mainstream press is actually owned by <laughs>
4: russians very <wealthy> people. Uh, <laughs> people from this particular country are bad but actually i mean you're not just kind of the so-called alt-left media are you liam i mean as we've literally just said you write for the eye to this day you've written for the new statesman and for other mainstream outlets And uh, so you've sort of done a bit of entryism into the mainstream media.
3: (laughs) That's a nice way of putting it, though. Yeah, I think, I don't know, it's been a very interesting experience. I was only 19 when I started writing. I'd run sort of like my own blog before, like I think most people do when they're 15, 16 and think everybody wants to fucking hear what you have to say. But... I started writing properly for the indie when I was 19 and then a few weeks later started with The New Statesman. It's been, you know, it's been weird to be thrust into those sorts of places from such a young age without really any experience in other areas. But I like to think that it's been worthwhile because I don't think I've ever backtracked on any of my views at all, even though it's been in, you know, a mainstream outlet. I don't think I've ever sort of switched up what I was saying.
5: Yeah, Yeah, you've had your sort of coming of age amongst some of the worst liberal media politics possible but you've still managed to yeah on the actual left which is I think a bit of th- feats to be honest because so many journalists that are so much older than you and are supposed to be you know so much more developed in their own sense of identity and politics and are so much more set in their ways have managed to you know things have got to them like yeah. you know people people like you know some I'm trying not to be a dick, but like people like OJ like, <laughs> I was just like, Are you just gonna say OJ's name? Yeah. <laughs> like you know, like like really credible left wing writers, you know, the mm. media got to them and got to their own sense of politics. But it's impressive yeah. that you considering you are younger than us, I think, which makes me sad by the way.
3: <laughs> uh, <laughs> Am I actually?
5: I think so. You're younger than me, I think. how old
3: are you now?
5: Oh, I'm, uh thirteen now. <laughs> Oh no, you're actually older than me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, uh,
3: I'm 22.
5: Oh, I'm 22 as well, so. I'm yeah, 23. I'm so old fast. Fast. Yeah. But
4: I remember in 2015 actually reading some of your stuff, Liam, and you cut quite an anomalous figure because oh. there, there weren't many people who were as kind of unashamedly pro-Corbyn as you. You didn't seem embarrassed about it or anything. No. And I saw you getting some derision from certain centrists on Twitter for this back in 2015. I think I still followed a lot more centrists back then because I I didn't I didn't quite realize who was right wing and who was left wing and who was willing to work with a left wing project and who wasn't. So I saw these dickheads, you know, talking about you being like, oh, he he must just be like a front for Seamus Milne.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, that sort of reaction, I think, in a way, kind of kept me on track because there is a real thing within that sort of crowd that if you conform, you probably feel like you'll get on and you can go further. It's also quite a nice thing emotionally as well to not have to have people who are apparently respected journalists Mm. constantly calling you shit for no reason. Mm. Um, But I think I quickly realized, Do you know what? I don't need to suck up to this absolute loser to do what I want to do because there's so many people out there who are not having their voices represented within these places. So I'm not going to change and conform to what they want me to do or say just so they share my article that will get one retweet from them Mm. saying, oh, what a fantastic piece this is that Liam has written every single week about how shit jeremy corbyn is
4: yeah i guess like it's an important way of retaining what makes your writing actually good and what, mm. what makes you you know interesting like because <laughs> i mean a liam young column that just kind of had the same centrist arguments as any other shit what would even be the point of hiring you to write that column so i think actually in the long run that was probably an extremely canny move of you not I'm not saying you stuck by Corbyn out of careerism and frankly why the fuck would you have done Uh, (laughs) but I think in the long term actually it's probably worked out all right for you (laughs) like you know not not completely melting and sticking by your principles so people know where you stand yeah who would have thought it
3: Mm. but I mean for me it always came back to this point of something I hate about a lot of these centrists is when I speak to them they'll say to me oh you know I worked so hard to get where I am and I have this now and I Want everybody to have it, and you know I come up against this all the time now. Where if I say I'm working class or talk about the working class, I get loads of shit like you can't possibly be working class because of X, Y, Z. But then those guys, the centrist lot, have forgotten where they came from entirely and are not connected with the real world, in my opinion. Whereas part of the reason I was still inspired by Corbyn and backed him all the way was not just out of my own personal conviction but also when i was 16 i was working in sports direct and a lot of my friends in lincoln are still working in sports direct or are still in the same job on a crap wage because nobody's giving them a chance they were saying to me, we are coming out to vote for Corbyn. We want to back Corbyn. And my view throughout the whole thing was something is going to happen here because these are the people who used to take the piss out of me at school for like wanting to be the mayor when I was 11 or something. Yeah. <laughs> and they all of a sudden, all of these people, my friends, my community, who weren't they like not incredibly politically interested all turned around and said, we really want to vote for Jeremy Corbyn. We're going to vote mm-hmm. Labour. I've registered to vote. I'm doing this. And so every time I would write something and I would have this class of people in the commentariat do their haughty little laugh and say, "Oh, oh, oh, oh how can anybody commission Liam Young? He's shit. Oh, Jeremy is going to lose 9000 seats at the election. <laughs>
6: mm-hmm.
3: um, I would then see, you know, on both sides. I would share this stuff on Twitter and it would, you know, go really well. Um, get shared a lot but then when I posted it on my sort of personal Facebook I would have friends Mm -hmm. saying I agree with you oh this is you know this is so true this is what it's like and one of the big moments of that was in the second leadership election when Owen Smith compared Jeremy Corbyn's leadership to the managerial style of Sports Direct
6: Mm.
4: (laughs) yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i was gonna (laughs) say i remember you wrote a very good article talking about your experiences of working at sports direct but i went down
5: very well in newcastle (laughs) yeah
3: yeah (laughs) yeah, definitely but i i remember writing that and i was so mad at the time because i was thinking how dare you somebody who doesn't understand what it is like to work for a company like that or Mm -hmm. you know never mind understand what it's like to work for them but have any experience of it he came out and said that and it was like lols everyone's laughing at it and the centrist commentariat sharing it everywhere like oh this is so true Mm -hmm. and it's like it's not (laughs) it's not true in any way shape or form and I remember when I wrote that piece and posted it after I had people saying you know look we're so grateful that you called this out people who didn't know who owen smith was and still don't know who he is probably but they were saying you know thank you whoever that guy is for calling out what he said and yeah for me that was what gave me the sort of drive to carry on and not give in to any of these losers if you like who Mm -hmm. they try to make everybody conform to their view and their way of life and it's just bollocks basically sorry I'm rambling on
4: that's alright mate it's an interview with you like That's, that's what we want really but, um,
5: yeah, but... Not, you, you sort of missed the point here a little bit Liam <laughs> I know
3: but I feel like I'm listening to the podcast so I'm waiting for you two to say <laughs> any shit for <laughs> me.
4: <laughs> a lot of guests do say that alright I'll try and interrupt you a bit more to make you yeah, feel more yeah. comfortable
5: <laughs> we all uh, talk over each other and Skype will do that thing where it like glitches out and then it'll be like real real politic
4: <laughs> <laughs> Laura I was just going to say what do you think of this thing Liam mentioned where because he expresses his left-wing views people don't really accept that he's working class and they kind of say what are you yeah. want you can't have worked for sports direct like
5: yeah, yeah, yeah i, I yeah. mean
4: you've had the same thing thrown at you haven't you
5: yeah pretty much yeah i think for example like a lot of the shit that i get on twitter is always like heavily steeped in misogyny yes and i think yeah. a lot of the people that do come after me feel able to come after me because i'm a woman mm-hmm. but their main point is always a class-based thing so I got a lot of shit. I think it was after J.K. Rowling did a horrible shit tweet about being a Lib Dem,
6: yeah,
5: um, <laughs> and, and I was like, loyalist, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I just, I it. just, you know, did my normal thing of, ah, uh, J.K. Rowling's a fucking cunt. Who cares? And it flagged <laughs> the attention of one of her very best friends, Brian Spanner. Oh no, uh, <laughs> who may or may not be. Spooner um, (laughs) Who knows But either way He's part of that class of Absolute Like fucking Cunt centrist dads Like the Maltese And Mm. fucking Twilden And like all of those Awful awful men The aggro They they essentially Devised this like Weird attack on me Where They went through The history of all of my tweets And essentially like Screenshotted Any time that I'd made Reference to the fact that I had quite a shit childhood I, I grew up in poverty You know, I was subject to abuse by mother's boyfriends, all sorts of just, like, just bad shit about growing up on a council estate in Newcastle in the early 2000s. It's not something I've, like, talked extensively about on the internet or anything, because I don't really want people to know too much about it. But every now Uh, and again, when it's relevant, I have made comments about it. And they took these comments, they took them completely out of any context. And, like, all of these, like, old, clearly middle-class themselves men tried to, like nitpick like as if they could try and prove that i was lying because they just could not like get it into their heads that somebody could be espousing not only left politics but in my case marxist communist politics and actually be a kid from a council estate in biker yeah (laughs) and i do think that's something that's directed a lot more at younger left people than is at older left people
3: No, definitely. And in many ways... I do think
5: it's a specific sort of, this weird combination of the fact that we're working class and we're young means for us to be doing anything other than you know sharing racist slurs on twitter <laughs> we must be middle class we must be oxford educated and they always go for fucking oxford i didn't yeah. go to fucking oxford i didn't even apply eat shit yeah but even right?
4: if, if you're working class and you've been to oxford they hate you for that i mean like there's nothing yeah, yeah, fucking yeah. rich yeah, yeah. about Max shanley but because he
5: went to ruskin college they're always like yeah that's not, that's like, it's not it's not yeah. oxford it's in oxford yeah. it's a trade union college in oxford it is not oxford university it's not a link to oxford university i swear to fucking god i nearly have a stroke anytime anyone mentions like max going to oxford i'm just like (laughs) literally you're just being dumb like just fucking google it like Ruskin (laughs) is not oxford (laughs) and it links in with this
4: weird condescending ageist thing that a lot of the agrocentrists or the, the dads whatever you want to call hmm. them have which is sort of like what you didn't join the labor party in 1994 yeah. when blair put the new clause
5: 4 in place oh my god you know? yeah like all of the fucking the centrist tweets about like banning anyone that joined the labor party after 2013 2015 <laughs> What, so like young people? Yeah,
4: (laughs) Yeah, literally. Well, it's because they've got this idea. They've all been around long enough. They lived through Blairism. They got into these like managerial positions. And they've got this very middle-aged man kind of idea that they know how to run things. And uh, they're they're really annoyed that these young people are trying to muscle in on what they think is a wholly technocratic and managerial milieu. Like, these people know how to run the country. You don't.
5: They're all so like caught up in this grim like faux nostalgia about their own youth as a young working class person back in the 1980s that they literally just cannot accept the idea that young working class people today aren't raging Tories. <laughs>
4: yeah, it's because people have got like yeah. iPhones now, so that compensates for the fact we get charged at the ass for university uh, no. and stuff. Yeah, that's good.
5: That's true. <laughs> um, yeah, I hate we don't all have of jobs. Not, we're all lazy and we can't be bothered to work.
3: Yeah. yeah. But that's the funny thing about a lot of these arguments that I found is that people I remember about a year ago, this started when I was talking about young people becoming truly socialist in a way and say, oh, well, wait till they get a job and then they'll change their mind. That typical thing. And, mm. and I remember replying to some people and saying, well, actually, my job at Sports Direct and the market that it is involved in mm-hmm. is what radicalized me. Yeah. Like, it was yeah. having a job that yeah. made me realise all of this is shit.
5: <laughs> and I, think that's, I um, think that's the same for a lot of young people.
3: Oh, yeah. definitely. Because, because it, like, I remember- we don't,
5: we do, like, this shit isn't, despite the whole, you know, pushing of the oh, cultural Marxist agenda that's taught in schools, we aren't taught this in schools. Like, we can go through school, we can leave oh, no. school at 16, 18, whatever and not have any real sense of, like, a left politic and then going into the workplace and feeling ourselves being exploited is what can radicalise a lot of young people. Well, I mean, people talk about
4: cultural Marxism being enshrined in the universities, <laughs> but have you, have you ever spoken to anyone who's ever studied, like, economics or business and <laughs> it's just got, you know, neoliberalism yes, <laughs> hardwired into their brains, like, they think yeah. it's fact. It's like, similarly, yeah. I was reading the website of that weird, like, He's calling things weird But they all are weird Like it's our future Our choice The blatantly aspirational. Oh aspirator. I had an argument
5: With that guy What Femi that guy, Femi I had an argument yeah. With him I called him a cunt <laughs> Oh he
4: is mate He's
5: Because he came to Durham And he did like His little <sighs> Trying to get people to sign up, and I was just like, "Mate, you're a fucking dick." <laughs> it's quite funny. Really,
3: I mean, the funny, a dick, the, the funny the funny thing good. about that campaign is the fact that it's aimed at Jeremy Corbyn. This yeah. whole idea that yeah. he can, he alone can overturn it's Brexit, despite Brexit. being yeah. in opposition.
4: Well, they don't want to cause any trouble for the Conservative Party, do they? They, they literally just no. want to no, stick no, a wedge stories. clean in the middle of the left. But what I found remarkable about reading that Femi guy's bio on our future, our choices about page was that they mm-hmm. have, so they're like, we are an organisation of young people founded by three. And it's almost like something from, like, Lord of the Rings or something. We yeah. are but three.
5: <laughs> and one of those three is Andrew Adonis, by the way. <laughs> well, actually, it's interesting. Young at
4: heart. They, you, you say that, Laura. But and
5: working class.
4: <laughs> they list these three names, who are all, indeed, young people. And then there's this, this other guy. You're like, hang on, did I read the... Did I read the four incorrectly (laughs) (laughs) and and you notice that this guy is significantly older than the others and he's this dickhead Mm. called uh, Felix Marcand or something and he's this like a kind of ultra neoliberal PR guy kind of political advisor type and he's like advised Macron and he published this, uh, he, he made this like big intervention in French politics a few years ago where he basically put out this supremely neoliberal statement saying that young people in france have been cheated by the lack of opportunities and they should all move out of france and move to other countries to, to enrich their economies instead and it's just like well i don't think that's a way of actually helping social problems and and whilst i uh, you know I, we've got liam young on to talk about some kind of generational conflict but i don't think making a generational war that explicit is a great idea but anyway no no
3: this field... it definitely isn't and it's also what jeremy did in the election was not he didn't pit generation against generation in the way that these guys want to
4: but this femi guy's bio anyway on their about page had in his bio he was like I'm so glad for I got to learn all about the EU when I did my law degree and I want oh, and I want e- not anything
5: about the EU either it's so sad. Yeah and he's like <laughs> I
4: want I want everyone else to learn the things I know about a degree and it's kind of it's like just because you, you've done a degree in something it doesn't mean you're, like, literally an expert on it. I've... Yeah. I, you know, I did a degree in film studies, and there was a module on that on post-colonial cinema. Hell yeah. Uh, I, and I got an all right grade in it, but I'm not actually an expert on post-colonial cinema. I can tell you a little bit about the yeah. surface level of it, enough yeah. to get an okay grade.
5: I have a lot of thoughts about undergraduate degrees, <laughs> and that was probably not the time to go into it. But basically... <laughs> having an undergraduate degree in law means fuck all and you should probably not have done that and you should feel sad that you've wasted that time of your life <laughs> <laughs> but it was
3: just... do we know do we know anything about who funds them
5: No, a, a
4: certain hold on it's
5: the asi
4: a certain prominent figure on the left dm'd me when i did this thread to say what? that it's george soros <laughs> <laughs> fuck's
5: sake
3: i've literally just gone on the manifesto and it's making me cringe so much that it's all it's like this emotional letter addressed yes. to jeremy corbyn it's
5: so embarrassing because when they come and they present they present it around like universities and stuff they do the whole emotional thing they sort of like act like this weird scene at like the front of in, a room and it's just they came to durham and did it they Imagine brought with
3: the them. and like saying oh by the way everyone Brexit is the worst thing ever, never mind all the fucking cuts. So please yeah. listen to a bleeding middle-class heart cry fake tears over leaving the EU.
5: Sadly, it was Durham University. Oh, and right. it was a very self-selecting crowd. There was, like, 20 other people there. And there was me and my mate, Sam, who's also, like, a communist. We were, like, both stoned at the back of the room, just, like, <laughs> heckling. We got asked to leave, and then we got interviewed by a guy from The Guardian. So that, it was a weird <laughs> thing.
4: Um, was this the Andrew Adonis event?
5: yeah yeah it was like a bill it was these guys and andrew adonis like he sort of like brought them with him as if it was like a two-for-one package like you want to listen to andrew adonis speak first you have to go through 45 minutes of this kid called femi who did a lot of fucking unpaid internships in Brussels.
3: <laughs> yeah. I saw that amazing article, I can't remember who published it, that had Andrew Adonis like mocked up as the next Macron
6: with yeah. Chris Deeren.
4: <laughs> I think it might have been New Statesman Scotland editor Chris Deeren.
3: Oh, who what's the New Statesman?
4: <laughs> some irrelevant no load of shite. yeah, I don't know. Locked behind a paywall from what I understand. Bad. But Chris Deeren was famously immortalised, not just on Twitter, but also on the New Statesman Deep Dive podcast, courtesy of Ian Leslie, as a supreme melt. Copyright Matt Zarb-Cousin 2017.
5: (laughs) You are a supreme melt.
4: (laughs) (laughs) You are seen as a supreme melt, and furthermore, you (laughs) happen to be one.
5: (laughs) (laughs) One.
1: Ha ha, you absolute melt. What are you? What are you, apart from totally irrelevant? Uh, Chris Deeren, retire you idiot. I will come back to you, I promise. Um, retire, you idiot. Put yourself out to pasture, your pal. You're a seen. You are seen as a supreme melt, and you also happen to be one. Take care and love to the family, which is a bit dark.
3: The funny thing is, I recognise the name, and I can't say this for sure, but I think. The weird thing at writing at some of these places is that you would be attacked by someone and then you'd find, oh, shit, they're somebody at the New Statesman who I've just Mm. written that article for. And yet they would just completely rip you to shreds. I remember yeah. there was one that I wrote about six months into Corbyn's leadership, where I basically laid out everything that he'd already done in opposition, the things he'd made the Tories U-turn on. I think this was the time of sort of all of the Saudi prison contract stuff. And, oh,
5: gosh, right. Yeah, and
3: yeah. he'd like forced the u U-turn on it. But for some reason, fucking Tim Farron was getting the credit or something.
0: And you have the milk.
3: So I wrote this thing saying, you know, look at everything he's done in the first six months. And I did say he's proving already that he's a very good opposition leader. The article headline was then Jeremy Corbyn is already one of history's greatest opposition leaders, which I thought, OK, right. I didn't Over necessarily that. <laughs> say that, but fine, if you you know, if we want to go all out there, yeah. and, because it's fine now because it's true. But at the <laughs> time, I almost felt. You know, in some ways, it's a bit like, am I being taken the piss out of? Yeah. And the response afterwards was everybody sharing it like, lololololol, this guy, who the hell is this student cum activist journalist, Liam Young, who I've never heard of him. Which publication did he come from? Ha ha ha. I'm sorry, I'm
4: Uh, just absolutely howling at uh, cum activist. I know that's yeah. not what you said, but I'm just picturing <laughs> come back to this now... I
5: hate Twitter.
4: Sorry, Liam.
3: That sound reminded me of, do you remember when Bastani did that calculation of Damien Green's porn viewing?
4: Oh, gosh. Did you see it? I'm not sure I did.
3: No. That's fantastic. It, was on one of, it might have been on The fits and he basically looked at what had been alleged against Damien Green. And worked out how much the taxpayer was paying him per orgasm.
5: <laughs> <laughs>
3: just on the subject of cum activism.
5: Yeah, absolutely vile. <laughs> the only vile, vile man. Ever, ever. Yeah, the it. only cum activist. <laughs> <laughs> Damien <laughs> Green.
4: Going to say the only effective Tory activist <laughs> <laughs> on the ground, as in, he's just on the floor masturbating. <laughs> um, <laughs> isn't he back in government now Damien Green like heading up some inquiry or some fucking shit like he's
5: not in sex rehab
4: (laughs) I think he sort of tried to avoid really saying anything about why he was wanking so much at work or anything (laughs) well there was
3: the whole famous thing where he said oh I was letting somebody else log in on my login yeah so he had someone working in his office who was viewing porn for four hours a day on his account and he didn't know
4: well they were like switching between like serious Damien Green work and (laughs) (laughs) it was like so it was like type type out a paragraph have a wank look at this spreadsheet have another wank it's like yeah. he's he, he must be like just like letting people in and out of his office like a sort of constant basis like just like an open door policy which, which
6: is weird
5: when <laughs> Damien Green's
4: office is just the, the wank sanctuary <laughs> <laughs> wanking with an open door the wanktory you could say
3: <laughs> it's just it's just so crazy that place that you know that sort of stuff can go on yeah. for so long like I mean when people turn around and ask why have young people not been interested before it's like well, come on, take a look at the bloody cradle of democracy in this country. Where, yeah. uh, As 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 Jack has just said, there is a wanchery.
5: <laughs> and the reason we haven't been interested is because we didn't know until now that there was yeah. a wanchery <laughs> or we would have definitely been interested. Yeah. Do you yeah. reckon
4: Damien Green has got like a glass office so you, everyone can see inside <laughs> what he's doing? So
5: that was a... the condition on which he was allowed back into Parliament. <laughs> They're like what a,
3: those David Blaine boxes. There's like. a mass
4: cover up. Literally everybody who works on the same floor of the same building as him just saw him cranking it out twenty four seven and is just keeping their mouths shut. I think, you know, the Tories have serious questions to answer, all uh, of them. Yeah. <laughs> Liam Oil. So you've got a book out. That's <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's I return mean, to that, this.
3: We could just talk about Damien Green. <laughs>
4: I, I, well, I think we've, as always, we've got sidetracked, but we've still, apart from Damien Green, who's significantly older than us, um, yeah. we've mainly <laughs> been sticking to somewhat youth-related stuff. So, yeah. in the book, because as I said, I've sadly only read 40 pages of it, but this isn't me like purposefully parring Liam off, we only managed to get a copy last night. And again, that's not Liam's fault, that's for book cops fault uh, the, the,
3: the book police. the book police will come after you even if you mention them <laughs> i've been told that there are all sorts of people out there who listen to real politique including the highest levels of government
4: <laughs> well the first rule of book police academy is uh, you don't mention uh never mind uh, <laughs> <laughs> so you talk about in this book I, I, as I was saying, I was just saying, I haven't read the whole book, so I don't know yeah, if yeah. you do, but, so what do you make of this thing of, like, actually, the people who represent the young are not Corbin, it's Chuka, it's Anna Subri, it's, uh, yeah. that Femi knobhead, it's, it's Adonis, it's Blair... You know, what What do you make of, of this argument that because of well, all the young people care about is Brexit, basically?
3: Yeah, well, there's definitely that. And one of the things I had to try and explain in the beginning, because the question I was often asked was, why were so many young people inspired by this old jam making hippie mm. bloke, <laughs> blah, blah, blah? because you know young people are supposed to be attracted to the sort of smooth charisma of obama or justin trudeau doing press-ups at press conferences and stuff like that and it's like that kind of excites people in a circle where they don't actually have to worry about policy or politics or how it affects them because it's cool to see trudeau as like a 19 year old up against the same images of a press conference he's delivering on very serious stuff Mm -hmm. they so everybody's like why Jeremy why him you know he's weird and I had to try and explain well it's very very simple with Jeremy when he did the first leadership election he put out a consultation for young members it was the first time anything like it had really been done and he got thousands of replies and put together a proper youth manifesto and from that I sort of explained that it's Corbyn's ability to engage with people on their own terms that was so interesting at the very beginning it wasn't that he told us what we wanted or gave out a mandate for solutions to all of the problems that young people are facing he actually asked and listened and then we replied and then we got involved and so really that's a very very simple thing that makes corbyn an interesting politician now i haven't seen chukka do that I haven't seen Anna Sauber do it, other than that mortifying thing after the election where she was seen in a crowd, hugging loads of people, apologising and saying she has been up all night with her daughters who were crying and blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Or
4: what about when she just had a massive hit of crack and then went on the BBC (laughs) to slag off Theresa (laughs) May? She's like, it was a disaster! It was a bloody awful
6: campaign!
3: Yeah, I mean, but, you know, in the media, they would have us believe that Anna Sauber is, like, the politician of our generation, which is crazy. And, I mean, the EU dimension is key here as well, which is something I had to try and tackle. Because for me personally, I don't believe that the EU is the number one priority for young people yeah. mm-hmm. um, because it just isn't. But I needed to try and explain why young people backed remain in large numbers and so forth. And from speaking to young people, which, you know, not many other people or journalists do, I found that it was down to the Remain campaign obviously appearing as the most progressive cause in that referendum. I mm. saw a young person who is kind of getting involved with Corbynism or whatever. Most of us got involved because we saw him as decent, principled, The majority of us support immigration, respect the contribution that immigrants make to our society. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. All of these things that are typically associated with the Corbyn cause. So even principled young politicians, if you like, found it hard to even consider voting leave because Mm -hmm. of that, because to side with leave was to side with Farage, was to side with some of the worst forces of the far right.
4: Yeah, Yeah. precisely. Uh, I mean, the fact that longtime Eurosceptics like Corbyn and McDonnell were backing Remain kind of made this case like it's just much more credible to vote Remain effectively. Now is not the time for leave, even if you are a Eurosceptic.
3: Yeah, I mean, I find myself in a very similar sense, like when I'm chatting theory and shit with friends over a few pints. I'm you're a skeptic, you know, I'm no yeah, fan yeah. of EU bureaucracy or its capitalist club and its function as a capitalist club. But I still voted Remain and still argued that people should vote Remain because I also didn't want to side with, you know, Farage and that awful Nazi poster and all of that crap. Mm. Um, And that's what I found when I spoke to hundreds and hundreds of young people as well is, you know, nobody turned around to me and said, oh, oh, I voted Remain because I fucking love the single market. and (laughs) The customs union keeps me up at night. Um, (laughs) They voted because it was the progressive thing to do. Now, I don't know next time round if there will be a next time Round whether young people will be the same. Because I think had Jeremy led the Leave campaign, for example, or there had been like a left leave campaign. Yeah, like an actual
5: lexic campaign.
3: Yeah, yeah, or Jeremy had been in power, say, say Labour was in power and there was the referendum. Yeah. I don't know, for example, for sure whether I would have backed remained, because I could have voted leave in the confidence that socialists would be in charge of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But all of this stuff that's coming out at the moment, like these polls that are like I've just seen when I was looking up what is our future, our life or whatever. Yes. Our, our <laughs> <laughs> you've got one on there that shows that for young people, the EU is a massive game changer in voting. I mean, I think when you ask that question in isolation without asking, you know, well, what else would change your vote? People might turn around and say, oh, yeah, well, if Labour is linked with leave, then I wouldn't vote for them. But if you were to follow up and sort of say, oh, but remember, Labour is the party that want to do this on education or increase mental health provision or whatever, I think you'd soon find that those numbers would change. But we don't get that side of the story. We just get we ask this one question. Would Labour backing leave make you change your mind? And quite a substantial number of people say it would. That's why Salbury and Chucker and all of these people are then held up as speaking for a generation of young people that Corbyn has betrayed and abandoned and all of this rubbish.
5: Yeah, I literally, I don't know anyone that was, like, enthusiastic about the referendum. Like, either way, it doesn't matter how they voted. I just feel like, especially every young person I know, voted through gritted teeth. And either way, like they voted leave because they fucking hate the EU or whatever, but nobody really wanted to have anything to do with the leave campaign because it was fucking vile and anyone that voted remain voted not because they love the eu but because you know they felt like maybe they didn't want to leave the eu underneath the tory government and you know that that whole idea of being stranded on an island with the tories thing so i don't understand how the experiences that young people have actually had talking to other young people about the referendum for example i didn't vote like that's fairly well documented by (laughs) now i literally could i couldn't bring myself to vote because i thought both sides were just so atrocious like i i fucking hate the EU. I'm i'm i am a complete eurosceptic mm. i think it's awful but i still just couldn't bring myself to vote in that referendum yeah. because everything about it was poison like it was such a poison chalice no matter how you voted the whole debate and around it's so it weird. Exactly. Debate. it's so weird to see the media banging on as if brexit remain whatever the referendum is some sort of like turning point in young people's politics it, it's an issue that they can't get past it's the most important issue for them nobody yeah. gives a fucking shit anymore anyway like no. what what are we like nearly two years since the referendum most people have fucking changed their minds or they just don't care anymore or they just want brexit to happen just so we can fucking get on with it <laughs> like it's just <laughs> wild that middle-aged politicians are looking at young people and looking at the way young people voted and have gone yeah you know what brexit is really important to them yeah, yeah. Do you remember,
4: actually, the weeks in the run-up to the referendum, the debate was not just, as you say, Laura, completely poisonous. Like, just, um, you know, there was just this festering racism and nationalism Yeah, was inflaming tensions to the extent that an MP was killed. And, yes. Um, yeah. But not just that. It was fucking boring. That was only right at yes. the end that an MP got murdered. Before that, it was fucking weeks and weeks of just this nitty gritty minutiae about these trade arrangements and fucking shit that was so boring and what's remarkable is that after this debate was actually decided people wanted to continue this debate indefinitely yeah and you can see some of their motivations for it i mean say someone like chukaramuna he's obviously just looking for something to do anasubri is just looking for something to do they've been frozen out of their parties because because they're irrelevant to the directions yeah. that the Labour and Conservative parties have taken. I mean, to paraphrase Michael Foote, how could anybody trust a word Chukuramuna says? You know, <laughs> he, he, He's formed his perfect alliance with Anna Subri and, you know, after all the services he's given to the Conservative Party... ...you, you can understand why, to paraphrase Michael Foote talking about infamous splitter David Owen, the hated David Owen.
1: wholly implacably opposed to the European community great believer in nationalisation, no understanding of the economic market.
0: If you're going to be attacked by anybody, he's the person, isn't he? <laughs> he's the worst mountain bank I've ever seen in British politics. <laughs> Who believes anything that uh, Dennis, uh, what's he called, David Owen, believes he was given a peerage by Mr Major for services to the Conservative Party. He sits in the Lord as one of Mr Major's Nominees, and I must say, he's earned that one. Everyone
7: who leaves the Labour Party always gets their moment in the sun.
0: Uh, who, incidentally, is really,
4: really pro-Brexit now, <laughs> despite leaving mm. the Labour Party partially because they were too Eurosceptic.
7: Absolute flew balls. Why do you think David Owen says these kinds well, of things? Well, he was a very... He was a very self-centred person, actually. I mean, the interesting thing about him, as I wrote in my book, is that he was good-looking, he was intelligent, he had immense charm... And all these presents were given him by the good fairy. And then the bad fairy came along and tapped him on the shoulder and said, but you'll be a shit. (laughs) (laughs) And he was, of course. But...
4: I don't really see how it's anything other than the most brazen cynicism and projection of older people's beliefs yes. onto younger yeah. people to think that Chukka or Blair or John Major, you know, ABC, Adonis Blair Clegg, are the yes. people who are somehow going to rescue progressive politics from Jeremy Corbyn, the man who has rescued progressive politics in the United yeah. Kingdom from, you know, Tony Blair, (laughs) yeah, from Tony Blair, and from kind of a grim fate of paso
6: Hey, Hey,
4: yeah, George Eaton, right
6: there. (laughs) (laughs) But that's
3: part of this much wider problem with what's going on, and in some ways it isn't necessarily young and old, but it's where these people come from, and what they're trying to protect, like those who are really bigging up Chukka and Anna Sauber and so on do so because they feel like that is their last hope of clinging on to their ideology and their way and it's now a case of oh if we can get them to win over young people that'll be it but then they're simultaneously saying ha 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 young people didn't vote the young thing is a lie young people don't matter and then the next moment they're saying please sign up to our future our life our world our crazy anti-Brexit campaign Mm -hmm. to get them all on board to change Jeremy Corbyn's mind they've all lost it a little bit
4: so let's talk about Jeremy Corbyn's ability to engage and infuse voters so obviously Corbyn and Labour under Corbyn is offering policies that people want but Mm -hmm. it differs considerably from the consumer model of voter engagement that has been prevalent in UK and US politics since the 1990s. This was when, you know, under the direction of the pollster, Philip Gould, New Labour started extensively focus grouping every policy and their policy platform became not so much a set of policies that would seriously address people's material needs. They became more kind of just the public's desiderata. So more just what people want. So, you know, to be a bit more tough on crime or something, even though that doesn't combat, as Blair would say, for causes of crime, just uh, yeah. Corbin. Although, actually, on Law and Order, he kind of has with the police numbers, police numbers triangulation, yeah. Yeah. which has arguably been quite successful for him. But again, is, as I was saying, regarding New Labour's policy, is not necessarily actually the best solution to those yeah. social problems. I think
3: I think on that he's moved. I think the debate has moved a little bit in that Labour's last party political broadcast that was on crime and left behind communities and so forth started to concentrate a little bit more on the sort of closing down of hundreds and hundreds of youth centers and the cuts to education that buy into that the closure of after-school clubs etc and I think what I felt from that was I felt reassured that we weren't heading into a sort of okay let's just promise seven million more police officers or some ridiculous number and that will solve it It was nice to see that the debate from the election has moved on a little bit more on crime and and those issues that we're now talking about. Not Blair's causes, which were like, let's bang up 13 year olds and tag them and keep them, you know, lock up youths. But let's actually address some of the social and economic factors behind why some incredibly bright and talented young people end up in crime.
4: So you you think the kind of the arguable triangulations that Labour under Corbyn has made are... Unlike, say, Blair's, or like Bill Clinton's post-1997 administration, had no real domestic agenda. It was just focus group policy after focus group policy to try and target an overwhelming majority of voters, which don't really need i mean someone once said to tony blair i think it was chris mullin we only need about 60 percent of the population not 90 percent but you, yeah. you you think stuff like the police numbers that's in addition to an attempt to seriously address these social problems rather than merely i
3: yeah really i think throwing so. people that, a bone i think that was the frustrating thing about new labor in the blair governments is that when you win a majority like that he could have done whatever the fuck he wanted to do yeah, and yeah. he didn't he won and he could have just gone oh shit do you know what we can actually really make a difference here he could have gone back to his Marxist ways in the 80s when he was elected <laughs> when yeah.
4: he was a socialist inspired by Karl Marx
3: yeah yeah <laughs> you know imagine if he'd just like the day after the election decided oh we're going to use this massive majority to achieve a socialist Britain but yeah. Yeah. sadly he didn't but the infuriating thing about that is that even when labor did the sort of piecemeal stuff at the beginning they then had a hell of a lot of years after that to have gone okay jesus we've got a real chance here to change a lot of this but in many respects they just didn't bother and yeah you know you get anybody in the center or whatever who listened to this if they would listen to it would then say oh well new labor did amazing things and i've always said look some of the stuff new labor did was good like mm. it's undeniable but also you can't just keep quoting the minimum wage forever of- yeah and say oh that covers up for absolutely everything else not just
5: she she
3: not just some of the disgraceful things that we did such as the iraq war but also yeah. the fact that there was a lot of space where we didn't do anything yeah. like that is the real disgrace I, mean, I think something
4: like the minimum wage although a great policy in and of itself it did prove to be a kind of panacea that allowed them not to significantly reform the labour market yeah. and I think you're absolutely right I mean the thing about new labour was they always kind of stealth reformed so even when Brown was redistributing money to the poorest he didn't say he was doing that so by the time they left office people kind of didn't actually know a lot of the good things that New Labour did and you know especially a glaring problem I think was that the kind of message became the medium maybe I, I don't know but mm. basically the way that they were presenting their policies this kind of no-nonsense centre ground we do the things that work which means right-wing policies that became mm. the sole substance of New Labour in their second term.
3: And also you're right to say like the messaging became the medium but at the same time, those millions and millions of votes that New Labour lost between 97 and 2010, some of them could have probably been saved if they spoke a little bit more about some of the good stuff they had mm. done to support kids who are in poverty. You know, I can never obviously compare this, but I would guess and do believe that me growing up under new labor was better than me growing up under thatcher but at the same time you know i'll concede that to anyone centrist or not but at the same time new labor didn't really tell my parents why that was or didn't offer a message of why that happened or what they did because they were too busy banging on about you know wanting to lock 12 year olds up or whatever for (laughs) graffiti like it was madness that that's what they decided to focus on and they became so obsessed with this middle vote, let's win over that centre-right part of the Tory party who have got a nice car and own their own home or whatever and would never normally say they vote Labour but now are. They became so obsessed with that that, you know, they left everybody else behind.
4: Absolutely. And, yeah. and there has been a really marked change in Labour's rhetoric towards young people under Corbyn. Ed Miliband in early 20- 2015, 2014, was talking about slashing benefits for young people to yeah. um, prove a point. I was watching an interview of Ed Miliband uh, from Andrew Marr in 2014 the other day, actually, and the first question Andrew Marr asked him was about this new show, Benefit Street, is setting the country alight.
5: Ah, oh, mm. Benefit Street. <laughs> I,
4: ne- I never watched Benefit Street. I forgot it was such a big deal. But indeed, everyone actually was talking about it for a time. Yeah, yeah, yeah
5: it was one
4: and Ed Miliband does eventually say but actually the real issue is the cost of living crisis but he starts off with well there is a problem of a small number of people my Ed Miliband impression is the same as my Blair impression sorry okay, there, yeah. there, <laughs> there is a problem of a small number of people you know who are cheating the system or whatever and it's like you don't need yeah. to say that because it's such a fucking small number of people that just yeah. go for the tax dodgers instead and, yeah, and yeah. it's kind of like what is the actual the economic rationale for cracking down on young people's benefits is this really a pressing yeah. issue and do young people yeah. really need to be a miserable Further, and then, as you say, the rhetoric towards young people under New Labour was even worse. It was all this kind of like you know, slap them with a fucking asbo kind of stuff.
3: Yeah, I'll never forget when I was studying politics, reading some of the material that got put out specifically on crime and young people. Yeah, and the the sort of consensus that just built between the Labour Party and the Tory Party. And I can't remember the exact line, which is really annoying now. There's a bit in the thick of it where Peter Mannion actually says something like, you know, what am I supposed to say to people on the street now? I used to be in favour of locking up youths, but am I still like and has it all changed? And it, that was like I remember. When I first saw that line I remember thinking, God, that is actually the perfect embodiment of what policy on young people and crime became under New Labour. It was yeah. how many can we lock up? And isn't it great when we do that? And isn't you just great think, to
5: give eleven year old
3: yeah, and like it's a massive race to the bottom of you know some people don't like young people walking down the street at eleven o'clock at night. Shall we start talking about having national curfews or?
5: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like oh, God. I remember that like, because part of my degree is criminology, so yeah. a lot of the stuff I study is some of the crime and young people policies that were passed under New Labour and. I actually remember so do you remember those awful fucking young people alarms that were put outside of like shopping centers and stuff in yeah, like yeah, the I, early 2000s yes. that, that was broadcasted at a frequency that essentially you can only hear if you're under the age of 25 and in your hearing works in a certain way and it's essentially a, yeah. a way to stop youths from loitering and i just well, remember this,
3: that goes to the heart of youth politics and that's why like i remember being god i must have been 15 at the time when yes. this happened because opposite my secondary school there was like a row of shops which i presume yeah. every secondary school has and everyone would just go there yeah. like afterwards and you'd, yeah, you'd yeah. All be around and they installed these devices like without asking anyone and it was like done by the police and we had an assembly on it and i remember being sat there thinking what the fuck like that is so crazy like we're not we used to
5: have them outside a shopping center in Wall's End on Mules and High Street, And I remember, because I must have been really young These were one of the ones that were fitted in the early 2000s So I was probably, I don't know, like 8 or 9 or something And I remember, like, trying frantically to explain to my mother What the fuck was going on Because I was, like, covering my ears And I was, like, freaking out Because, like, these noises were really awful Like, some of them like, incredibly intrusive noises Yeah. And I was, like, trying to fucking explain to my mother Who obviously couldn't hear it And didn't really know anything about anything like that There's this, I'm not making it up I'm not having a joke I'm not trying to throw a tantrum in a shopping centre there's this horrible noise that i can hear it's honestly real (laughs) yeah it's just this fucking how traumatic is that
3: i'd actually forgotten about that but i can remember never forget those fucking noises
5: they are absolutely outrageous and just one of the worst things that was fucking passed through in the 90s
3: i remember my response to it at the time doesn't fit so well with labour's new small business policy (laughs) (laughs) it was to like just completely boycott the shops yeah. <laughs> I, I was like, most of these people survive on the amount of M and M's and crisps that people buy before and after school. So how yeah. dare they put mosquito supersonic sounds on the outside yeah. of their buildings? <laughs> <laughs> really really strange and that was sort of the race to the bottom that we had i know it comes back to the point i probably made about 15 minutes ago that in that broadcast and i think in some of the things that jeremy has been saying recently we've started to see a move away just from quoting numbers of police numbers of police to a real understanding about where crime develops where it comes from and how we can help people avoid basically wasting their talents or whatever by getting involved. or being forced to get involved, which is probably more important.
5: Yeah, much more of a sort of interrogation of of systems that allow people to fall through the social net, fall into poverty and therefore into crime, rather than just slapping sanctions on people that do. Yeah, exactly.
4: And do you think people kind of forget... Well, I'm never sure if they've genuinely forgotten or if it's just a convenient thing so they can compare it favourably to Corbynism, but there seems to have been this kind of collective amnesia among people on the centre about New Labour's authoritarianism. Mm -hmm. For for example, in that really quite good extensive interview of John McDonnell that was in Saturday's FT. Oh, hell um, yeah. Good on John McDonnell's part. Um, yeah,
5: clearly. But
4: yeah, but basically there's this anonymous quote from a Labour MP, you know, obviously Chris Leslie or somebody, but it's... Um, yeah! They describe John McDonnell as a very authoritarian person and it's kind yeah, of like...
5: scarily authoritarian or something. Yeah. yeah.
4: And it's like, you just mean that he's a bit abrasive in person, like... <laughs> yeah. not, you know... Cause... Blair put
5: kids in jail!
4: Yeah, this is a guy who... Um, and built y'all's woods. Yeah, Fucking absolutely. Hell. Which the, the current Labour leadership are strong critics of. This is a guy who, while this mainstream centrist Labour MP would have been in the lobby voting for 90-day detention without trial,
6: John <laughs> yeah. McDonnell
4: was voting against that and arguing strenuously against it. So it's just kind of like, what is this definition of authoritarian?
3: Do you remember during the election there was that hit of many on... On, uh, Diane where New Labour had obviously pursued this massive expansion of the DNA database mm. yeah, and Diane was recorded somewhere saying people who aren't criminals shouldn't be on the DNA database yeah. and yeah. then this massive storm kicked off. Diane Abbott says murderers should be removed from DNA database and all she'd done is make an incredibly common sense point that yeah. some people are on the database <laughs> you see, who aren't
4: criminals. You really do see some of the anti Corbynites regard for human rights and civil liberties when people who support Corbyn come out with ideas supportive of such things. For example, when somebody made the argument about how John McDonnell voted against detention without trial while all the then mainstream Labour MPs voted for it, you just got these, these tweets from people who would consider themselves on the left saying, oh what, so you think it's bad to lock up terrorists? It's like, you, yeah. sa- you sound boneheaded, mate. You sound stupid and reductive. You sound like some, like, fucking Nazi thug who's gonna kick someone's head in. That's not a rational way to think, like, Britain good, terrorist bad.
5: It's just incredible that we sort of, like, shifted the definition of authoritarian... From, like, what it actually means to, oh, he doesn't want to do bad things, but he wants to do good things. Yeah. Oh. Yeah.
3: <laughs> well, that's, like, the whole problem with, you know, 90-day detention, the sweetheart deals that we presume yeah. were done between Blair and Bush that kept yeah, some yeah. British citizens in fucking Guantanamo. Oh,
6: yeah. Um,
3: You know, never mind ninety day detention. More like bloody nine years or more. (laughs) Yeah,
5: Um, as a torture. Yeah, yeah.
3: Yeah, and then also we saw those policies on the domestic sphere as well, with you Mm. know the massive increase in CCTV. I can remember that being a huge debate when I was growing up. That you know there was some stupid statistic like one camera for every five people or something like that.
5: Especially for me, because Newcastle is the most heavily surveilled city in Europe. No, growing up in Newcastle, like you really felt that.
3: And there was like a genuinely
5: are cameras on every street corner. Mm. Yeah,
3: and a crackdown on protests. That reminds me. I was in the obviously non-establishment socialist UK Youth Parliament uh, when I was, (laughs) and something I actually talk about in the book is that bodies like that need to become more political because I can remember. Being elected onto it by all the schools in the area, but you were only allowed to speak about bus travel and, you know, you couldn't have views. But I remember with a friend who was also on it, we organised a protest in Lincoln. We were basically probably the most radical thing any youth parliamentarian has done, which was (laughs) to, like, strike from school against the tuition fee rise oh
6: wow yeah yeah that
3: is cool and I can remember actually now I got picked up from school one day by my mum and my mum isn't particularly political at all she votes labour but you know not involved in it and I can remember looking at her face as I was walking towards the car and thinking oh shit what have I done wrong (laughs) <laughs> and I got in, and said, I've had the police on the phone to me today because you've organised a protest.
4: Yeah, that was the law that Blair changed, wasn't it? Yeah. You had to, like, yeah. you really fucking wrangle with the police to get a protest organised.
3: And yeah. the police turned up at my house that afternoon.
4: And I mean, I was like, I
3: think I was, I must have been 14, 15.
5: Yeah, I think we were about 15.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I had the police in my house saying, you haven't told us about this protest. You need to get enough police to coordinate and sort it out. And me being like 14, I was like, oh, shit. Like, what do I do? Yeah, and then yeah. in the end... We- we'll have to not do it now obviously if it was now I wouldn't be like that but I was there my mum sat there basically like why have you got the police in our house and they were like we haven't got enough police to do a protest because there's the Lincoln Santa fun run on the same day yeah
6: yeah
3: yeah
5: um, amazingly
3: but that's what it became
5: yeah Amazingly, I was in a very similar situation to that because Incredible. I led a protest out of my high school. We did a walkout. But the thing is, because I was essentially like raised by wolves and by wolves I mean communists. <laughs> yeah. Um I was given advice about making sure that it was hidden from the school and hidden from the police because I was told that the police would come after me if mm, they yeah. knew, so I managed to dodge all that shit. And me and a, a couple of other friends managed to get 500 kids to walk out of school and join a march in the centre of Newcastle against oh, the Jewish amazing. free protest. And then <laughs> yes. we went into our occupation of Newcastle University. So, like, <laughs> we had to, like, literally, me as a 15-year-old, had to do research into how to get around the police and make stop them from shutting down this protest yeah and thinking back Perfect. i never sort of put two and two together and sort of connected that shit with the fucking changes the fucking blairite regime made about protests <laughs> and police and stuff like that but it's just incredible that they did put so much shit on kids but like, i can't get over it it, just, yeah. it makes me it, i get so so angry because obviously like this is my degree i write essays and shit like this mm. but like i get so infuriated I mean, when and also people the... criticize the youth for being so like anti-blair right in rebelling so much against new labor when new labor was fucking awful for us
3: i know and we're also expected to doff our caps to the fact that you know i've had this before where people have said well you know schools were improved so much under new labor so you know you should be grateful for that and it's like this isn't something where i just have to say oh new labor did some good so i am now wedded to them forever yeah can never oh, oh, thank fuck. New,
5: New Labour got rid of the tripartite system so frankly we should all vote Tony Blair as supreme <laughs> leader forever and, and yeah they, great idea it's like you they're think also
4: making, responsible ma- for
2: academies you think yeah, like
4: exactly. yeah, making schools and hospitals or at least the public types like a little bit better is like the fucking bare minimum you expect from any government yeah, it's yeah, not even a concrete yeah. political objective because how do you define like better well, I guess there are ways like more productive like, but you know it's it's not a political objective everybody Nobody, Tory or Labour wants schools to be better you know and yeah. I yeah. wager a lot of Tories were perfectly up for the Blairite idea of getting in private contractors to oh yeah. Sure. It another, yeah, yeah
3: it was another place where there was this you know education and crime actually were areas where this massive consensus was built up and the academy program I remember almost getting excluded from school because I turned up at governor's meetings, mm. turned up at the meetings about us turning into an academy. Hell yeah. I actually was credited when, you know, they had like Wave A and Wave B academies. Yeah. And Wave A were like the new Labour ones that got yeah. like fucking tens of millions of pounds yeah, we had yeah. one in lincoln that. so basically i was at a school where the textbooks were like 20 25 years old and yeah. then there was this school up the road from us that had stables planetarium <laughs> swimming pools like a track field with a like a mini stadium around it mm-hmm. and then i was like working at sports direct to buy a level textbooks then my school went in as part of the wave b which was like either become wave b academy or we're going Cut your budget by three. But even then, I was sort of arguing against it. And someone credited me with stopping us from going away. they. But then there's quite a lot of people who hate me now because. If we'd have got way there, the school might have had, I don't know, an Elon Musk style space
4: <laughs> portal or something. <laughs> Dr. Bastano's <laughs> socialist space programme. <laughs>
5: <laughs> so the academies is just one way that New Labour sort of like set out this bold new education policy. Mm. The other ways were things like EMA and laptops and schools and all sorts of things like that but they were all incredibly surface level policies, they were yeah. incredibly flimsy policies and the minute the coalition government got in in 2010, all of these policies were flushed down the toilet yeah. they were repealed and demolished immediately as if they'd had no effect whatsoever, it's as if they never existed and that yeah. for me proves the point that these policies were never good enough, good they argument were just,
4: against mild reformism yeah yeah
5: yeah, they were incredibly <laughs> stopgap gap policies that weren't actually looking at where education was failing and where schools were failing kids and where there was a massive money gap happening, Blair did nothing to stop that. He threw 30 quid a week at a couple of six formers and he said he'd buy laptops for schools and was like, and now you can be on your merry way. And the minute that his government came to an end, the policies came to an end and every bit of good that they were doing came to an end and it was as if it had never happened.
3: Mm. Yeah, it was they just easy for...
5: education policy. They were yeah. fucking bullshit.
3: It was so easy to get rid of as you rightly say all of that face level stuff. But it became because of the way they academy thing, it was just so easy for the Tories to radically turn what had been an attempt to revitalize broken schools and yeah. I'd never supported it under Labour anyway because it was a crap policy, but yeah. at least they had some intention of, "Oh, let's throw 100 million at a school and see what happens." Yeah. In a good sense whereas the Tories then just came in and said oh even better we can sell the schools off and, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and- and we can do that as an extension of the legislation that the Blair government passed
5: so it, was, it was immediately like malformed and misappropriated from the idea of saving sink schools into yeah. privatisation <laughs>
3: yeah but it's like you say they laid the groundwork for that they made it exactly. so easy to do yeah. and that comes back to this whole thing about oh well New Labour did some good stuff it's like the disgrace they also did
5: tuition the... fees yeah,
3: <laughs> yeah and the disgrace necessarily isn't the bad stuff they did it's the things they didn't do the time I mean, that, that they didn't spend embedding this stuff within british society that is yeah. the real space
5: and even the good stuff they really did pave the road to hell with good intentions if we're assuming their intentions were good which <laughs> let's not go into the metaphor there but
3: yeah. all, of the, all, all song, of the supposedly song, good
5: right? what song
3: i can't remember it's a really really bad song as well
5: oh, <laughs> oh is there a song i just know yeah, yeah. it's an incredibly overused literary metaphor but yeah whatever either way they really did they took that idea and they fucking ran with it because they did all of these things that they thought were going to be good like introduce £1,000 a year tuition fees because uh university system was going to hell it needed an injection of money they thought that was the easiest way to do it 15 years later wham we're all paying 40 grand for a degree <laughs> yeah.
4: Yeah. so i think this could be a good way of linking it back to liam's book so we've talked about the reforms that new labor brought in regarding education both higher and other ranging from the introduction of tuition fees to the academization of certain schools to what extent do you think this marketization of the education sector played into this growing resentment, and then subsequent political re-engagement of the youth?
3: There's a chapter in the book that sort of talks about political fails. And it's actually all about the way that over the sort of last 10, 15 years, at moments where you... Represented and were engaged with it took a few months for them to be betrayed, and the obvious example is that Clegg yeah. was obviously <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the polling that was done on that man ahead of the election you know made him the most popular politician since Winston Churchill, which is no <laughs> not much to brag about but that's how inspired everybody seemed behind Nick Clegg and blah 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 but then his betrayal I actually feel is partly responsible for why Corbyn's message was picked up so readily. Because I think Clegg, we all hate him, but we should hate him even more because what he did was absolutely and utterly disgraceful because he got young people involved. There was a small rise in engagement. It wasn't anything like we've seen recently, but he did get more young people involved. The debates definitely helped with that. Young people engaged with the debates. And then he just fucked... Everyone over. And then a whole new generation of young people turned around and went, I'm never fucking doing that again. I'm, why should I bother voting? When I voted to scrap tuition fees, and he's literally, you know, as we know now, the Tories said to the Lib Dems, look, ride this one out if you want. You don't have to necessarily vote for it. You can abstain. And Clay boy turns around and says, fuck that. I'm going to vote for it.
4: Because he's supportive of the policy. He actually thought that tuition fees being really high were a very good idea. Like he's yeah. the right wing neoliberal ideologue who contributed an essay to the fucking orange book (laughs) nick clegg never agreed with policy of scrapping tuition fees
3: yeah yeah. but he made people believe that he did yeah and then betrayed them and these sorts of moments i think are key in explaining why young people turned off from politics because i don't buy into this idea that young people are not political no because Mm. my experience is that they are and in some ways it doesn't materialize as political discussion because When I was at school in Lincoln, we weren't all sat around talking about Marxist theory or any other theoretical side of politics. But we were discussing things that impacted our lives, um, that were mainly political, that were created by political decisions. So I've never bought into the idea that young people aren't political. But what I do believe and what is the thrust of the book is that the disengagement was born out of these sort of betrayals that we've seen. And a belief that there's no point in getting involved, that why bother going out to vote for someone who in three, six months times is just going to screw you over, basically. Yeah. And then, interestingly, they tried that with Corbyn, with the whole tuition fee stuff, because I saw it. I watched Question Time when Ash was on because I knew that she'd be brilliant. And the problem with watching Question Time because someone you like is on it is you have to sit through the rest of it.
4: Yeah, (laughs) oh
6: god, I know.
3: And it's actually sometimes... I mean, I
4: watched the other one for my hero, Owen Smith, and everyone else on it was just a complete dickhead. It was pulling.
1: As soon as the programme finished, I asked Mr Smith, what exactly did you mean by that? But nobody's suggesting that, you know, we're going to be able
0: to bring ISIS around the table right now.
5: I watched it well, on It was fucking hell. I think <laughs> that when
3: they have people like Ash on the programme, I genuinely feel like I'm interested in watching it again. Because, you know, you're waiting for that voice to represent how you feel when someone yeah, in the audience yes. says something stupid. So mm. then I actually think it returns to being a half decent programme. But the last one and others where you end up with, you know, a massive right wing panel. There's just no point. I mean, you might as well just
4: watch the Andrew Marr show.
3: Well, on the one that Ash was on, someone in the audience said, oh, Jeremy Corbyn said that he was going to scrap tuition fees and he didn't. And he's now backtracked on that. And I was just sat there thinking... What the fuck has <laughs> that just said? I mean, not I know he became obviously... Prime Minister and
4: everything, but...
3: Yeah I, know, yeah, I know
5: we have a Labour government, but come
3: on. <laughs> but that obviously was part of the whole thing after the election became, where young people were bribed. They were bribed on getting rid of tuition fees and then they yeah, were li- yeah. lied to about the historical debt stuff and if Corbyn <laughs> lied to them, then they wouldn't have voted for him, blah blah blah. But this idea
4: like, wait till if they If that's find not out,
5: how party politics has worked for the last fucking 200 years. I know, yeah. Freaked fucking idiots. Uh, no one ever
4: yeah. told a lie before June 2016. That was when <laughs> the art of political lying Actually, was invented. Jeremy
5: Corbyn invented lying. <laughs> he did,
4: yeah. Uh, yeah, you're right, Laura. Sorry, he was lying way before the referendum when yeah. he said stuff yes. like nuclear weapons are dangerous. That was a lie.
3: But what I think is interesting since what's happened with the election and then the attack line, it was repeated daily, all of that stuff about tuition fees and mm-hmm. some of the Tories still use it today although I feel like you know even they get bored sometimes of repeating (laughs) the same crap but I don't think that caught on at all I mean the polling that's been done of it shows that it didn't catch on but I also know for example people our age I voted to get rid of tuition fees but it wasn't going to benefit me anyway so how was it a bribe (laughs) Mm -hmm. I think there was only one year wasn't there where it affected you it was the youngest voters and yeah. then even then, Jeremy said, if we do get into power, we're going to have a special pot so that the youngest who are just about to go in don't have to pay. So yeah. they were the only ones who were going to benefit from it. People yeah, like, who,
5: like actual 18 year olds going into university at the time of the election. Yeah. Those were the only people who was going to direct the effect. So it's just anomalous to claim that this 25 year old has actually been bribed by Jeremy Corbyn yeah. when some of them are potentially already paying back tuition yeah,
4: fees. Yeah, exactly, yeah. I mean, fuck, do you remember Ed Miliband's higher education policy, which in addition to <laughs> stuff like we're going to slash benefits for young people, <laughs> it was just like they were going to lower tuition fees from yeah. 9,000 to 6,000.
6: Yeah. Radical. <laughs> yeah
4: exactly and all the fucking right wing wankers like Tim Bale I remember was just kind of like ah this is dazzlingly unrealistic policy from Ed Miliband and it's like oh my god I hope he's seriously unhappy now such typical Miliband
3: yeah you're right that was typical Miliband and it was just so false as well I remember I think at the time like I welcomed it but Mm. you know at the same time who wouldn't welcome a three grand reduction but as we know it was a bloody you know what did that mean it didn't mean anything it was a policy that just meant oh you're going to be a little bit less in debt but we still entirely support this model of higher education and that was always the problem with Miliband as well it's a a little bit off point but you know when he did the whole Russell Brand interview oh yeah it was just so cringeworthy because Miliband was obviously forced into these things to do them to try and appeal to the youth And the difference with Jeremy, and I can't remember who I was having this conversation with, so I hope they don't sue me for stealing an idea we were talking about. (laughs) But it was basically the, the thing with Jeremy is he approaches everything on his own terms. Like, he he didn't get involved with grime artists and pretend that he loved grime. Yeah, yeah. Who was it that he met up with again? Was it AJ Tracy?
4: No, it was JME.
3: JME, JME, When he met JME, I think, like, JME asked him, what sort of music do you listen to? And I think he was yeah, quite yeah. honest in saying something particularly boring like Classical FM.
4: Yeah, like Corbyn's favourite song is Imagine by John Lennon. Like that's yeah. so, that's so <laughs> fucking, that's like normie yeah. as fuck. I'll
3: but
1: your boyfriend but if, stuff there.
3: <laughs> but say if Ed Miliband had been interviewed by, I don't know, say it was JME as well. Miliband definitely would have turned around and been like, oh, Stormzy's Gang Signs and Prayers is my favourite album that has ever been released. And I love Stormzy and it's all I listen to. And that sort of politician finds itself everywhere. Like, I'll never forget when Zach Goldsmith did it in the. Um, oh,
4: yeah. Uh, Bollywood.
3: Bollywood, yeah, where he was, oh, like, he was like, oh, do you like Bollywood? Yes. Bollywood. Oh, what's your favorite? I'm a Bollywood
0: fan, so anything with a Bollywood theme, I'm looking, I will lap it up. You say you're a Bollywood fan, do you have a favourite actor or a favourite Bollywood film? Oh no, you're gonna you're gonna I, I wouldn't be able to give you a What do you think? No, I'm not gonna give you one. I can't think of I can't think of a favourite. Think of a single Bollywood film or actor. I I, I can think of I can't think of a favourite. I love the, I love the whole, I love almost everything about Bollywood. I love the atmosphere. I love the colour. I love the excitement. I want as much Bollywood as possible here in London. There is a link. A lot of Bollywood happens in London. It's a
1: big part of our economy. It's a growing part of our economy. It's a good thing.
4: If they'd have asked that Goldsmith what music he liked, he could have just been like, "Well, I like uh, my song." that goes. I have no idea why.
3: I was listening to that the other day, but I was. <laughs> All the Ben vote for you. I saw, a, I saw a resurgence of that on Twitter the other night. Where, yeah. <laughs> where I think it was both of you, actually, who started yeah. tweeting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and
4: Tom Because
3: I, right.
5: I just found myself listening to it. I had no idea why, but then I thought, <laughs> yeah, I'll just tell the timeline. Because <laughs> it's so catchy and good. It's such yeah. a banger. It makes <laughs> me but... want to vote Zach Goldsmith. <laughs>
3: But, but that is actually like the sort of politician that Miliband was as well. Yeah, and yeah. something I try to explain about Jeremy is that with all of these things, you remember when he was like playing football with the kids and uh, yeah, yeah, the interview yeah. and he yeah. went to the grime thing. And then there was that moment where after one of the debates where he came out and was handed a Pringle by a load of young people. Oh, and, yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah really odd things where if they were thrown in the direction of any other politician they wouldn't have known how to respond to it but Jeremy was just like rocked up at everything as Jeremy yeah, and yeah. never changed and never lied either you know never tried to pretend that he was something that he wasn't and that's why it worked because you know when he was at Glastonbury as well I just can't imagine any other politician doing that or the Labour leader anyway or yeah. some yeah. I mean like Bernie Bernie Sanders would probably be able to do something similar but there's few politicians who would be able to do something like that
4: do you reckon uh, blair would have in his heyday no no you don't you don't yeah because well because i was thinking like there's a certain kind of intangible almost charisma that certain mm. people have and i think it's one of a few things that corbin and blair share it's like corbin yeah. and blair are convincing leaders bernie is a convincing leader Ed Miliband is not. You know, David Cameron was kind of a convincing leader. (laughs) Theresa May is not. But you don't think that Blair would have had... It's remarkable because if you look at the way Blair made his policies with, you know, Philip Gould doing all the focus groups and stuff... It's pure populism. It's literally just like, what are people's base, shallow desires? We'll give you that thing that you want. Blair goes on constantly about populism, and it's like, look in the fucking mirror, mate. I mean, I know you don't have a reflection.
6: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Mm,
4: (laughs) But Blair
5: was, was, whatever, a rigid ideologue, and all of his sort of charisma was built on lies and disinformation and not on the sort of honesty that Corbyn's charisma is built on. Corbyn is charismatic because he is honest. Blair is charismatic because he's a fucking snake.
3: (laughs) Yeah, and and also, like, with Blair at Glastonbury, he'd have, like, been a suit wanker and needed, like, a podium or something.
4: Yeah. Um, Actually, I can think of the closest Blairite analogy for Corbyn at Glastonbury, which was when Blair appeared on stage at the 1996 Brit Awards. Oh, my God, yeah. I think he presented... (laughs) He presented Oasis with an award. I I might be wrong, but Oasis definitely came into it because Noel Gallagher then said there are seven people in the country who young people can relate to. That's me, our kid, Bonehead, Gwigsy, Alan White, Alan McGee, who runs our record label, and Tony Blair. Yeah. Yeah.
0: There are seven people in this room tonight who are giving a little
2: bit of hope to young people in this country. That is me, our kid... Bonehead, Quigley, Alan White, Alan McGee, and Tony Blair. And if you'd all got anything about you, you get up there and you say Tony Blair's hand, man. The man. Power to the people.
3: Well, and also, I mean, I as somebody who was named after the correct Gallagher brother.
6: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: Like Noel was also the one who was at the Downing Street reception. Yeah. And the whole you know the whole Britannia thing and yeah obviously since then he's come out and said he hates Corbyn and all of that
4: and Ed Miliband
3: yeah but I just don't think the stuff with Blair was the same and when I looked back at the sort of historical voting turnout for young people I'm talking off the top of my head now but it's in the book but I I think it was something like 54% in 97 Mm
4: -hmm. and then
3: it fell every single year that Blair
4: yeah yeah, absolutely Um, I think the symbiosis of Britpop and of politics that sort of became cool Britannia I think it always felt kind of forced. It always yeah. felt like a glorified PR stunt, which both the record industry and politics yeah. were both becoming increasingly in that era. Whereas the Corbyn thing, as you say, Liam, it is just literally slotting this guy who's very comfortable in his own skin into any given situation. And he basically does all right because he's a people person. Yeah. yeah, We're
5: not building this sort of like Truman show world around Corbyn the same way we did around Blair. Yeah, like yeah. The whole, just the whole Blair did rip like the weird the social nostalgia and all that stuff that was like forced and fucking hell i'm getting into like adam curtis hyper normalization (laughs) territory here i know i am and i'm trying not to wander.
0: in typical fashion as the war began Serkov published a short story about something he called non-linear war a war where you never know what the enemy are really up to or even who they are the underlying aim serkoff says is not to win them, but to use the conflict to create a constant state of destabilized perception in order to manage and control.
5: But we sort of built a world for Blair in which Blair could excel. Yeah. It's not true. doing that with Corbin, Corbin is excelling on his it, own it's... terms in natural environments.
3: That's why he did so well, because he engaged yeah. with the real world as it is. And yeah. who would have thought that would be a good thing? Whereas, as we spoke about with the focus groups and stuff, Blair appealed to a world that he believed existed and wanted yeah. to exist, yeah. rather than the way that it did. He and wanted to, to
4: remake be... society in his own image.
6: Yes, so
3: And indeed. also,
5: he wanted to get rid of Flow dive, which is really sad, because... <laughs> I, I love shoegaze. <laughs> shoegaze <laughs> should have won over Britpop.
4: Yeah, I know. Look what happened. Like, Andy Bell was in Ride, who were a great shoegaze band, and then Ride split up and he formed Hurricane One, who were a, a shit, like, sub Oasis band, and then yeah. he switched from guitar to bass and joined Oasis.
5: Yeah. What a
4: tragic trajectory.
5: Yeah.
4: It's all
3: Blair's fault.
5: Yeah. I absolutely blame Blair for the failure of shoegaze as a genre.
4: <laughs> it's Blair's fault that My Bloody Valentine didn't release their second album for like 25 years.
5: <laughs> That's okay. Fucking, yeah, slow dive. Good band.
3: Good band. Jack, you know, you spoke about Blair in 96 was that the one where he gave the award to David Bowie?
4: Oh, yes. I think he might have been presenting the award to yeah. Bowie rather than to Oasis. Yeah, it was yeah. Oasis shouted him out.
3: Yeah, that's the one. Because I remember that he, I think in the video of that, Blair does the whole reel off of every band that has now like come <laughs> out and said, please do not associate yourself with us. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I like him shouting out the clash, like, and uh, yeah. <laughs> like, I wonder if he had, like, Rock the Kazmog going on in his head as he as he did so.
6: Yeah, I
4: wonder what but, Joe Strummer he, thought of that.
5: As he did a rock. <laughs>
3: <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> what Blair did, to me, even with all of that, seems entirely fabricated. Um, yeah. mm. Whereas with Jeremy, the thing, obviously, at Prenton Park where the chant started, you had Alex Nunz on last, who's fantastic. and the brilliant writer yeah, i think yeah. it's in his book and i think you also spoke about it in the podcast that there was all of this confusion as to whether jeremy was going to go on with the main band etc and so on yeah so, yeah.
5: Um, the libertines, for, yeah. <laughs> yeah
3: for me that boosts this idea that it's like real and organic like it wasn't that there yeah. was six months worth of discussion with the libertines management as to whether he could make this speech and what he would have to say and how it would go he just basically rocked up and went out and I think you all said last week spoke about you know loving football and music But, but it was real and I remember the moment that everybody started that video it just went absolutely crazy and obviously it was a very very youthful crowd as well and I think that kind of started the whole oh my god could young people change the course of this election
5: yeah could young people you know be interested in politics in the way that we think they should be. (laughs) I'm
4: just trying to ask a question that doesn't involve Tony Blair. (laughs) Blair obsessed. (laughs) Well, we
2: can
3: uh, talk about my Trotskyite world revolution if you want.
4: (laughs) Hell yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we've been talking for about two hours now, so I'll scrap whatever Blair-related points I had, which I think were more stuff about this kind of contradiction between both Blair and Corbyn in their own way trying to bring people with them, but also in a way trying to rather than just give people what they might want in blair's case de-industrialized communities might want industry back blair's not going to give them that but he's going to crack down on crime mm. they're still trying to take people with them into their view be it socialism in corbyn's case or neoliberalism in blair's case <laughs> but they have different approaches and there's different parts of the policy program where they give people what they want and different parts where they sort of invite people to follow them but mm. I can park. I can park that for a minute.
3: I, <laughs> well, you should go for it. Don't let me silence a young voice, despite you being a year older, older.
4: than me. Yeah. <laughs> you, yeah, you are sidelining my moderate Blair-obsessed voice. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's talk about global revolution and sort of clarify. I think what the youthquake means, because yeah, apparently yeah. it is the 2017 word of the year according to oxford dictionaries
3: indeed yeah so it was named as the word of the year and when that was done it was about this wider sort of thing that seems to be happening in society where young people are at the forefront of a lot of different causes Mm. now in order to discredit it altogether, a load of people have decided recently that the youth quake only means the level of turnout at the last election for 18 to 24 year olds that's all that it means basically mm. and the british election study came out and obviously said that the youth quake was a myth mm. and that turnout of young people went down five percent yeah now, they based this on a survey of 109 people which, when I was doing GCSE stats, I was told that's ridiculous for, you know, yeah. a population of something like eight or nine million. <laughs> but when I pointed out this very simple fact, centrist Twitter and right-wing Twitter went into meltdown, yeah. I became a purveyor of fake news. Yeah, uh, are we all? I, you know, I was doing this to protect the interest of my nonsense book, which now yeah. was founded on lies. Yeah, and, I, I saw people and, saying,
4: like, what a surprise Liam Young has this view when he. He's just written a book on the youth quake. Yeah. It's like, shut yeah. the fuck up. You just wrote a book called The Sad Death of the Labour Party, you stupid cunt. <laughs> Never say anything in public ever again. <laughs> yeah.
3: Yeah. 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 <laughs> but, well, Also, I tried to argue in the Guardian piece that I wrote that, you know, fair enough if they want to say that that's gospel and turnout went down 5%. I don't believe that it did when you view it in the context of everything else. Kellner, who used to be the bloody chair of YouGov, came out and wrote a piece saying kind of the same things that I said, but because he said them, it wasn't a purveyor effect. News. he was actually more blunt than me he just came out and said by the way you lot of professional researchers you're all wrong which <laughs> which i didn't do and then other academics have also fed into it but it doesn't Matthew matter
4: goodwin by the looks of it and managed to prize his book out of his mouth long enough to write an article actually <laughs> supporting your case
3: yeah he wrote yeah because then the goodwin thing
4: he co-wrote it on, with three yeah, other it,
6: people
3: yeah, yeah it followed up on the thing that i was saying that even if you take that as gospel fine turnout went down five percent whatever that isn't the extent of the youth quake it's not yeah. just turnout at the ballot box
6: yeah exactly and
3: though i disagree with what they found but anyway if you take that as gospel it still doesn't prove that young people now don't care about politics Yeah, Mm and I don't think we can say that on all of the other evidence.
5: Yeah, uh... almost if anything, trying to sort of measure it in terms of ballot box turnout, it's proving a point for the idea that young people more and more are wanting a different kind of politics.
4: Yeah, Yeah. their
5: political activism—the long and short of it—is no longer turning up through a ballot box, voting for local MP, whatever. It's so much more than that now.
4: Yeah, and that this kind of ossified, desiccated husk of a generation has no concept of politics outside of the electoral.
5: Yeah, Yeah. exactly, exactly.
3: And that's what I write about in terms of this revolution that I call it that is happening everywhere, is that young people are getting involved in loads of campaigns, whether it's about homelessness, rights of food banks massive range of campaigns and one of the places that it happened which we can easily document because we do have information about votes Mm. though this is electoral is in the US with Bernie Sanders
6: yeah yeah.
3: which in in many ways still a very different thing to what happened with Corbyn but at the same time there are a lot of things that mirror each other and the main one is that there was a thing put together analysis by a group called Circle who ran vote tallies of all of the estimates of the early primary races Mm. and Sanders won 2,052,000 young votes throughout that process which was more than Trump and Clinton combined. Yeah. And Clinton actually won less than Trump. Now, obviously, in the election, young people went on to back Clinton over Trump. But yeah. there was one demographic didn't, which was young white males. Yeah. But we see a very similar thing. And with Bernie, obviously, the hype was that it's about young people. Young people were turning up at his rallies. It's young tech, people it's were.
4: exciting, it's young people, it's crowded. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. awesome. The
3: perfect place to put that clip in. Yeah. Um... <laughs> It's tech, it's exciting, it's young people, it's crowdsourcing. But it's now extended beyond Bernie, as I'm sure you two have seen and will see on Twitter with the Democratic Socialists of America, who are now challenging the Democratic establishment, if you like, in promoting themselves on campuses. And I kind of document in the book this massive rise in their membership People proudly coming out and saying we're young socialists and, you know, we don't.
4: It's remarkable in the United States.
3: Yeah. 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 Even more remarkable than here, even, to be yeah. honest. And also looks at the same way that the Democratic establishment are refusing to engage with these young people in the way that many centrists in the Labour Party are. Mm. Yeah. Uh, like Nancy Pelosi came out in a CN- <laughs> town hall event and looked a young person in the eye who just asked her a question about, you know, why life is so shit for young people, and and said, we're capitalists and that's just the way it is. Yeah.
2: Yeah. (laughs) A Harvard University poll last May showed that people between the ages of 18 and 29, not just Democrats, not just leftists, 51% of people between 18 and 29 no longer support the system of capitalism. That's not me asking you to make a radical statement about capitalism, but I'm just telling you that my experience is that the younger generation is moving left on economic issues. And I've been so excited to see how Democrats have moved left on social issues. But I wonder if there's anywhere you feel that the Democrats could move farther left to a more populist message, if you think we could make a a more stark contrast to right-wing economics.
7: Well, I thank you for your question. Uh, but I have to say, we're capitalist and that's just the way it is.
3: And we see that happening all over the shop at the minute. And the warning I have in the book is that if the Dems don't get real about God, that sounds like an awful politician's <laughs> phrase. Yeah,
4: don't get real. Uh, <laughs> High flying political advisor, Liam Young. <laughs>
3: it's literally all I would have to say to probably get like some $300,000 job in the States, like <laughs> advising. Well, the new um, statesman
4: might give you a column again yeah. if they think you're a US political advisor. Definitely. <laughs> I know
3: that Mr. Ganesh has just recently gone stateside, so. He
4: has. Oh, my God. So now he can yeah. tell Bernie supporters they're thick as pig shit. Yeah, yeah, which I, I noticed you quoted. He oh yeah, I quoted that in the book, I think, on
3: the first few pages, because it just has to be in every book yeah. that's written for me. He should put a tweet out, it should be quite funny if he was self-deprecating and said, I'm off to do an analysis of Bernie's supporters. Oh wait, I don't need to, they're all just thick as pig shit.
4: <laughs> I think the problem with that is that the Americans wouldn't get it and then he would just have the entire US left, just like yeah. baying for his blood. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
3: Really. I would not be up
6: yeah. to that, obviously. <laughs>
3: But the same thing is happening over there in the States and continues to happen. And I mean, a lot of what I write is backed up by what happened with Sanders, but it's still going on now and still very real. Mm. I think that it is a generational reaction to capitalism and to neoliberalism in a number of countries. Yeah, I mean, um,
4: Nancy Pelosi's answer of, like, why are things shit? Well, uh, we're capitalists. Like, I mean, it's not actually that dishonest an answer, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, true,
6: <laughs> why actually. are things
4: fucking rubbish? Well, you see, I'm a big capitalist and... And I love capitalism and oh yeah cool question answer yeah, definitely
3: and we've seen the same sort of thing happen in some areas in Europe Podemos obviously originally had a large young following and so did Saritza until yeah
6: yeah
3: I mean obviously it all of that <laughs> yeah all of that has changed but there are new parties right I mean I know I was going to have a look at what the Italian exit poll said I think it looks
5: movement five it, star yeah
3: looks yeah or it they're looks, looking
5: like they polled higher than they did in February <laughs>
4: I remember in the SPD in Germany's youth movement, there was yeah. at least the leader of the youth movement was very, very vocally opposed to this Groko this yeah, grand yeah. coalition that they've, yeah, they've yeah. just gone into with Merkel's center-right party. Yeah. So I think there are people all around Europe, and you know, in the case of places like America, maybe even various parts of the world, that are looking to the UK and are inspired by That's what's happening. Like but also, yeah. neoliberalism is everywhere. Yes, you know, they're not just looking at Corbyn and thinking hey we could do that they're looking at the material conditions in their own oh, countries
3: definitely, yeah yeah and that's what has happened in Italy the party power to the people well it's a movement to be honest at the moment has sprung up yeah, um, yeah. and they're doing very much the same thing and this is the frustration I guess something I tried to get across in the book as well about oh it's a Corbyn cult it's all about Corbyn blah 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 It brings back to what you've just said, Jack, that these movements that are fed up with the way things are in their own countries haven't gone around saying, let's find one person who is exactly like Jeremy Corbyn and that will do it. They've tried to look at what Corbyn has achieved in terms of his policy direction, the tactics that the party have used, and then we'll use them. Whereas our press can't look beyond that. Yet parties in Europe and beyond are trying to understand what it was that Jeremy and the team did, what it was that the Labour Party did that was effective. Mm. Uh, but the media in this country still is not really bothered about doing that. You know, even after the election, we had a few weeks of, always oh, Jeremy too old to be leader uh, yeah. now- now it's just the same old crap about brexit like nobody actually wants to try to understand what's happened because i I don't feel like they believe we have the right to be where we are and their reaction to us polling so highly in the election was they know they got it wrong but they soon snapped back into the same old shit yeah i just find it mind-boggling that you have a movement in italy that's spending a lot of time researching what corbyn did what momentum did what campaigns did how it worked and uh, i actually gave an interview to a magazine in italy about the youth part of that and they you know seemed more interested in knowing about the tactics rather than jeremy whereas when you speak yeah. to some journalists about the young rise they want to know oh what's jeremy like as a person blah 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 and it's like nobody gives a shit what jeremy's like as a person to be honest yeah, yeah. Or that we've got 60 grand of debt to pay off and we yeah, we're rather... all trying
5: to sort of like move past that weird politics of personality that they keep trying to like thrust back on us yeah, yeah. and, and
3: and we're forced to come back to it, and but yeah. I've said that all the time because I was frustrated when I was writing that so often I had to come to the defence of Jeremy in defending Jeremy himself and then yeah. having a few yeah, yeah. lines to say, oh, and this is why it's actually about defending the movement or whatever. But there was no space for that at the time because they were saying he'd done a jig on the way to the bloody... <laughs> that and stuff and it was like no. you know we have to counter that bullshit but they've yeah. played quite a clever game in that because it's meant that we haven't been able to put across the sort of theoretical basis of what we're doing or yeah. try in a way to win over new people because some of us have had to spend the last two and a bit years simply fighting fires yeah yeah definitely
4: No, I think you're absolutely right, Liam, in saying that they, after the election, a lot of these anti-Corbynites acknowledged that they got something wrong. But they didn't acknowledge that there was something wrong with the very substance of their political outlook. They just kind of said, well, we got Jeremy Corbyn wrong. He's actually good at his job. And Mm. (laughs) some of them didn't even go that far. But to have people in the months since the general election arguing for public-private housing partnerships... Like, you know, I'm talking about HDV to have people still putting forth this kind of the Iranian hangman case against Corbyn that people who have a left wing foreign policy hate britain and a terrorist sympathizers just this reductive nonsense yeah they don't understand that there is something much more substantial behind jeremy corbyn which has a significant kind of ideological basis and that they are puncturing the message that his leadership enables us to put to the country um, and yeah. obviously maybe not puncturing it very successfully but mm. labor in 2018 it is not the party of privatisation. What are people doing, arguing in favour of HDV?
3: Yeah, it, yeah. It, no, definitely. Yeah, and I think you're right to say they're not necessarily puncturing it effectively, but they are wasting a lot of people's time.
6: Yeah. Um, yeah, in
3: that we do have to counter it, or we do have to make clear to people that's not who we are as a party. And that time is very valuable when you're in politics, um, sure. and you're trying to achieve something, you're trying to do something. It's the same thing that I've had with all of this. The youthquake never happened. There's some people who have asked about, it and I've said, "Well, I think it did happen," and I've left it at that because I don't want to have to play their game of answering. Yeah. St- batshit question that they've brought out of nowhere yeah
4: they just want to when, get you that, immediately on the back foot
3: yeah let's get you on this and then we'll spend half an hour talking about that and then you'll have five minutes to explain why young people give a shit yeah <laughs> and it's like no that's not what the book is about and if you don't get that then this book isn't obviously for you and that's the same thing that's been happening with jeremy and as you say we had that brief respite period of oh yeah we got it wrong Ha ha, ha. and i remember i got hurled over the rocks at the time because i put out a tweet that was like basically a joke i wasn't wishing unemployment on colleagues as everybody <laughs> said but yeah. I, said, I said something like in any other industry if you got everything wrong in your job you'd be sacked
6: yeah and, yeah yeah and, okay. I remember and, that.
3: and i said instead nothing has changed they're still on all of the tv shows as the voice yeah. of the labor party and the left
5: yeah dan hodges still exists yeah, yeah
4: honestly you know on the left we're very critical of this idea that being an mp is a job for life i i think yeah. the same thing about journalists i don't know why yeah. they think they're entirely to get everything wrong and still fucking, yeah. you know, have this huge platform where they reach millions of people. I mean, journalists say, I can't remember who it was, but somebody said something like, I reject this idea that I'm this influential. It's like, you solipsistic cunt. It's not about you personally. Yeah. Yeah. It's about the cumulative effect of a media that has broad consensuses, frankly yeah, yeah. not that fucking broad, pretty narrow consensuses on a number of issues that are yeah. key important to shaping the way political debate happens. It's
3: also
5: this incredible banter that the backlash to that was people sort of, like, trying to push the narrative, like, are these incredibly well-paid, high-level political commentators are workers, actually? (laughs) 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 We we shouldn't be advocating the dismissal of workers. I'm like, (laughs) fucking
3: hell. definitely. And also, like, a lot of the ones who say that are the ones who are on, like, full-time contracts getting paid a hell of a lot of money. (laughs) Whereas anybody who's writing about Corbyn is basically freelance and at the whim of, of yeah. the whim of an editor you know some people have said to me oh you can't say you're working class because you must be on like 90 grand from the you independent fucking fit, mate. I, think, <laughs> I was like no doesn't stop the me like, he's I'm, I'm, I'm lucky if
5: right. i get paid 50 quid an article yeah <laughs>
3: and, and, every, so that, and that's, like,
5: that's, what like 5% of the stuff I write gets published. <laughs>
3: yeah. I remember when I said that after the election, I think it was Jane Merrick who um like tweeted at me saying, uh, Liam, are you in the NUJ? I am, and I would never wish unemployment on a colleague. And, like, and I remember, like, this is now selling out on my working-class roots. That At the time, I was on, like, a, a week break in uh, Dubrovnik. Oh, my and, God. And uh, I was on a kayak, actually. And uh, my... <laughs> Went absolutely crazy, and it was all of these centrists like saying, You're supposed to be on the left, but you hate unions.
5: Oh my <laughs> god!
3: And I was just like, What? The hell are these people talking about? And I was also like, you know, I'm on holiday after the election. I'm just trying to have a break
5: yeah. Oh, yeah. And like it's it of left politics.
3: It took about four <laughs> or five days for them all to return to this same old crap. and then you know I had written that Jeremy was going to do a hell of a lot better than everybody expected. Yeah. And obviously went into the election saying there's every chance that he could win, and he got a hell of a lot close to winning. Yeah. yeah. And then four days after the election, I was the moron who was wrong, and the same loony Liam Young who writes pro corbin columns. It was all back to that. Yeah. Uh,
4: yeah. As a committed centre-leftist, you know, I think that it was a disgusting violation of workers' rights when Theresa May <laughs> sacked George Osborne and yeah. um, actually <laughs> he should still be in that job especially as i also agree with him on every single policy he's ever proposed <laughs>
3: completely agree and austerity has been such a success it um has, as the reason as but it Dave, made,
5: it's yeah. what we had to do <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it
4: was the right thing to do
3: definitely oh, really. and for her to sack somebody who's been successful is even worse to be yeah, honest
4: exactly i mean what he, yeah. he, it was only two years later than planned but the deficit fucking went out
3: definitely and um, that you know all of this also buys into the fact that as young people we're not entitled to have a view and if we do we get patronized by everybody yeah. and all of that is very basic stuff that we all know But it is also a major barrier to people Wanting to get involved And it's something I write about the party as well In that the party has to change so much If it actually yeah. wants to involve yeah, young people yeah, Because I've i said this to people before On the day of the election There were people asking to come out Leafleting with me at like 6am yeah. Who were yeah. at school with me I was <laughs> like, And I was thinking this is mad That this is happening and yeah. then yeah. people did But then since then a lot of people have gone And tried to get involved in the CLP or the branch or whatever yeah, to yeah. try and change things internally, and basically been told to fuck off. <laughs> it's you know sort of a warning in the book as well. Is don't turn around at the next election if young people don't get involved and shrug our shoulders and say, "Oh, where were all the young people?" That's not how it works. You know, we have to keep engaged the policy proposals have to keep moving forward as well because it changes all the time. Our situation changes all the time. It gets worse all the time. And I obviously loved Labour's manifesto and campaigned for it. But, you know, next time round, we will have to have new policies for young people. And I'm sure we will do it. It's not like a criticism. But it's just that we have to have that coupled with the internal party engaging young people in a proper way so that they don't turn up at something and never turn up again when some of them are probably the most enthusiastic people we could have out with us but don't get involved because they think oh I'm not going to turn up at that again and be forced into a corner and get shouted at for saying I support Jeremy Corbyn yeah
5: yeah, yeah. it's yeah. just like it's fucking rank and I know for a fact it's happened with fucking crank Blairite MPs get annoyed at young people doing entries them into the party and talking about Corbyn. I mean, I've
4: said before the thing that hardened my attitude prior to the coup, which absolutely got me on team fuck Blairites, they're all scum. The thing prior to that was just seeing Michael Duggar's fucking flatulent Twitter account. Just him just shitting on young people who joined the party with the most utter naked contempt. I'm fucking glad he's out of Parliament now. I know we saw Him yeah. off pretty much every episode but young people joining the Labour Party unless they're you know really fucking clever and have read a bunch of books which fair play to them probably don't know all about the Labour battles <laughs> you know no, the, no, the battles exactly. of yeah, the
5: internal 1980s. party work yeah exactly. yeah exactly they don't yeah. know who
3: well, they... i wrote something about this when watson did the whole young people are having their arms twisted by old trotsky eyes. oh
6: god yeah.
5: Yeah, yeah yeah
3: and i kind of said you know a lot of these young people won't know what a trot is
4: yeah
3: i mean other mind being um yeah something about tom watson
4: yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, no, absolutely. I wasn't a fucking cunt,
5: yeah. <laughs> like, and
4: the ironic thing is, they shoot themselves in the foot because they make young people aware of all these contradictions within the Labour Party, so they turn people into factionalists. It, yeah. I maintain most people who've gone into the Labour Party. To fight for Jeremy Corbyn they might not like Tony Blair but they didn't go in there to deselect Blairites or anything they probably no, no. You know, didn't know about mechanisms like mandatory reselection and yeah, the thing yeah. is when Michael Duggar spouts off like oh it's just like the bloody Benites and militant destroying the party in the 1980s yeah, well, yeah, yeah. for a start that's a subjective interpretation of history which many people dispute but secondly yeah. you get people to read up on that history (laughs)
3: Yeah. (laughs) And I mean people like Duggar have done awful things since like the way that he baits Matt Zarb cousin is atrocious. Yeah, yeah, his gambling
4: gambling addiction. addiction. Yeah,
3: and shows, you know, the measure these people show their measure in the end they pretend to be the guards of moral principles and you know they're fair and everything and then yeah, most yeah. of them have a drink and by half 11 on twitter they're absolutely losing their shit
5: yes <laughs> i mean well fucking jess phillips look at how moral and self-righteous jess phillips sort of tries to present herself to be like any sniff of oh this person might be left and they might not be a woman I'm going to accuse them of misogyny because Mm. that way I have the moral high ground. This is literally from a woman who built her entire career off of fucking over black people. (laughs) Black women her entire career materialised out of the fact that she did a snake coup on Dawn Butler in the women's PLP. And then like did that weird lie where she said she told her to fuck off. And then it, it, it I loved did that that thing. didn't.
3: Yeah, I loved just that real, thing where like, Diane said, that wasn't true. And if anybody had come and asked me, they would have known that, like, yeah. she didn't do that.
5: How is it that Jess Phillips can, like, present herself as this sort of, like, guardian of morality in the Labour Party, trying to, like, fend off the rabid, the vile hordes of Corbyn supporters that are here to, like, drag the discourse down and just muddy the waters with their swearing and abuse and use of the word melt and stuff when, like, <laughs> she's just a racist? Yeah. Like she and, black
3: people. And this sort of comes back to the whole abuse thing as well, in that people have asked me, oh, well, you talk about young people being fired up by momentum, but these young people are often, you know, abusive members. Yeah. I'm um, like, a we... lot of them are new members. And do you not know why socialists have come to the Labour Party? Socialists don't exist <laughs> to abuse people, we exist to yeah. remove oppression from society wherever we find it. We're not in yeah. this. We don't dedicate our lives to a socialist cause because we want people to feel abused. Yeah. Um, and we've ended up on this slippery slope where, because we've had to bat off the accusations of abuse, We ended up in that farce the other week where someone was able to say that calling a Tory council in Wandsworth right wing was a slur.
5: A slur, yeah, yeah, (laughs) Nimco Ali, what a wonderful person. Yeah,
3: and that sadly is kind of where we've got on the whole, you know, you call out a Tory MP for voting through a Department of Work and Pensions policy that we know kills people and you're accused of abuse. And that isn't to equate it with areas where there are abuse in the Labour Party. I've always said that this abuse exists within the world, within society at a certain level. So there's obviously going to be pockets of it within the party because that's the system we exist in
6: yeah, yeah but
3: don't conflate real abuse and real problems with me saying that it's wrong for the tories to vote for a certain policy or a young momentum member going out and saying you should vote labor because they won't pass this policy that will mean people lose their benefits for having a second bedroom like that isn't abuse
5: Yeah, yeah. Calling Justine Greening right-wing is not in any way comparable to the shit that Diane Abbott has got for 30 years. Well, I I
4: first noticed the abuse discourse become really prevalent in British politics at the time of the 2015 vote on military intervention in Syria.
6: Mm -hmm. When
4: Corbyn did this thing of saying, lobby your MP to get them to vote against the bombing and um, yeah this kind of like you know fairly mild form of democratic engagement <laughs> was instantly kind of treated as this is abuse of mps we seem to have a media and well a parliamentary labor party as well frankly mostly of people who have no kind of conception of power relations like yeah. <laughs> they can never see how anyone is more powerful than other people and an example of this is i was listening to a radio four thing called i think it's the media show last night which is a, you know it's a show it's on the media but it's 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 a show about the media but yeah. Amol Rajan, you know, George Osborne's best mate, the, the uh, George yeah, Osborne's yeah. arsehole correspondent of the Evening Standard, <laughs> like, yeah. he, he was presenting it and he said these, like, pretty remarkable things. Like, he started the interview of Paul Mason was the Corbynite guest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mason wasn't particularly bad on this one, to be honest, because he's pretty much on the same page as us on, like, media ownership and stuff. But yeah. Amol Rajan just launched straight into this, talking about Corbyn's video message to the media he said Paul Mason this is straight out of a Trump playbook is it not
0: oh. <laughs> and then, um... Oh. Um, Paul Mason this is straight from Donald Trump's playbook isn't it in what sense
4: and then he just started blowing smoke up Rupert Murdoch's ass for and I quote investing to the tune of tens of millions of pounds a year in British quality journalism for decades
5: oh my
4: yes.
5: god <laughs> it's like I <laughs> love hacking dead kids phones yeah. it's actually quality journalism yeah.
0: can you distinguish between Rupert Murdoch's politics which you don't like and the fact is that for decades in this country he has lost tens of millions of pounds funding world class journalism he's funded Sky News which is not very obvious that anyone else would fund. Sky News loses tens mm. of millions of pounds a year, produces world-class journalism. Mm. He has funded the salaries of Times journalists who just this month have produced uh, an astonishing expose of uh, alleged sexual um, abuse at Oxfam. Can you put your political distaste for Rupert Murdoch to one side for a second and respect his investment to the scale of tens of millions of pounds in British quality journalism for decades. No.
4: Sinister right-wing <laughs> media monopolies that habitually break the law are actually a form of philanthropy.
3: It's madness that he's able to talk about that. There's a passage in the book actually about why young people do not trust the media and it's for that that reason that we grew up in an era where we found out that journalists hacked dead kids' phones. Yeah, you mentioned yeah. Billy
4: Dollar in the book, don't you?
3: Yeah, and. And that is why we don't trust them And the the media necessarily Or want to engage in it Because as we were growing up That's what we found out they were We were
5: born after Hillsborough Yeah, like We were born after the sun And all of that bullshit And looking back on that Why were we ever going to have any faith In these people at all? Why were we going to see these people As good and moral and righteous And as if the work that they're creating Is in any way going to be truthful Or anything Because following on from Hillsborough we did then come across the failure of the news of the world and all sorts of shit like that and it's just fucking baffling that somebody would <laughs> would try and claim that fucking the sun and what the sun did to like Liverpool. It's actually really good and, and philanthropic and investing yeah. into like working class communities or some sort of bullshit like that Yeah, It's,
3: it's a disgraceful th- comment th- to th- make. They're,
5: yeah, a, they're,
4: yeah, a, they're, a deeply, they're a deeply deeply criminal cartel. They're a criminal fucking cartel. Amol Rajan later says, oh come on Paul, Rupert Murdoch losing millions of pounds on Sky News and the Times isn't the same as a troll farm in Vladivostok. It's like no, no, it's so much fucking worse. Much worse? worse. Yes. Yeah, how many people do fucking Russian troll farms, which yeah, sure are a bad thing. Even though I run many of them, I'll be the first to admit that they're they're, <laughs> they're not great for society. But not how many profit No, well, it's like a penny a year, isn't it? But, like, how many people do they actually reach compared to Rupert Murdoch's international media empire, which he's been using to directly influence politics for decades? Is Amal Rajan just thick, or... Oh, he works... Yeah. Yeah, but, yeah. A lot of
0: people will be surprised to hear your argument that there is a causal link, a straight line between what Rupert Murdoch, whose media organisations do different things in America to what they do over here, mm. but there's a straight line between the Times, which has recently broken the Oxfam story, and Russian troll factories. No, absolutely not. Which, no. which, which well you've you've made the association and it's one hell of a charge. Yeah. and I take your no, point. It's not that a the charge, way, it's uh, an association. I, I, I take I take your point that, that, that the way bots work is they make things go from the fringes to the mainstream. But are you really saying that they are part of this international far what right? A, no. Does he work? And I, I mean not?
3: that comment about investment and so forth is particularly deeply offensive to the city of liverpool
6: yeah Um, yeah. and
3: that shows that these people are not rooted in reality they do not live within reality they don't know what goes on beyond to coin burnham's phrase and we need to find a better phrase for this but they don't exist outside of that bubble Yeah, Uh, Yeah. they probably never fucking tried to understand what's going on in places like Liverpool and Newcastle or any of the smaller towns in the north. Because, you know, they feel like, why should we? It's, you know, London's amazing and that's all we need to think about. Right. Um, and so for them, it's great to say, oh, Murdoch has invested so much. And, you know, there's young journalists who get to start on 25 grand down here. And he paid you know, me a great salary. Start. Yeah. He <laughs> had a
4: health care deal and pensions and everything.
3: It's crazy that people can make those comments. And also, as you say, they don't just make the comment in passing and then they get picked up on it. It's like a line of argument. It's a real. yeah. 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 It's it's like a, I'm angry I'm right about this and we're going to yeah, talk Yeah that a... guy's
5: gone on Radio 4 to spout that line to yeah, spout l- the yeah. line that Rupert Murdoch is a philanthropist. Yeah, he's literally
4: the presenter of the show. He's not even the talking head like the, other than Paul Mason, the guy they had on there was Trevor Kavanagh from the fucking Sun. So they already had a Murdoch <laughs> spokesman on there without fucking Amal Rajan needing to play this blissful idiocy act. No, yeah. I
6: don't
3: mean and this is part of the whole response to young people as well has been that for them to accept that we now have power or that we have a say is for them to admit that they are losing some of theirs
6: yeah yeah.
3: and there's actually a passage in the book I'll read you it if you like where I discuss this and I say actually now it's a great passage because I'm waiting for like a load of reviews to come out which I'm yeah. sure will destroy the book for being left wing but anyway <laughs> on a philosophical note it's easy to understand why older commentators. Rushed to deny the importance of the rise of the young. Mm. The fresh faced and energetic young people that came to Corbyn's aid stood in direct opposition to everything that these commentators hold to be true. Long held political truths suddenly collapsed before their own eyes, but they were not just political truths that they believed in, they were ones that they themselves had created. These hacks, most of whom are middle aged white men, spent their careers feeling that they did not have to speak to the young or understand them as they didn't seem important or relevant. They now see that worldview directly challenged and falling away before them. The young remind them of their own mortality and of the very physical limits placed on their own power and influence. It is therefore completely unsurprising that they spend so much of their time and energy battling to preserve that which they have created as well as challenging the notion that the young have come to change everything. To admit that the time of extreme, uneven capital accumulation, mass support for privatisation and acceptance of tax dodging is coming to an end, is to admit that they are also soon to be rendered obsolete.
4: Well, yeah, exactly. That's perfect. Corbyn is a walking repudiation of the political milieu in which these people have thrived for their entire careers. So, of course, it's in their direct interest that his project fails. Oh,
3: definitely. And also to hack away at all of these smaller parts of it like
4: hack being the, the
3: operative the, word <laughs> yeah exactly yeah but like the youth search like they, they're they coming for that and then they're also now that they know they can't really do shit to Jeremy even though they tried with the whole spy thing they're going for the people yeah. around him and the new generation of MPs mm. they'll try to get stuff on them and they move somewhere else and they try to take apart all these little parts of the small c coalition if you like that's built around Corbyn
4: I mean fuck you could even argue them going for real politic and the daily mail was and every other fucking yeah. paper in the uk was you know the same strategy to try and knock down the outriders who were prepared to uncompromisingly speak in defense uh, yeah. the movement.
3: but that's why i've listened to you guys for a long time and obviously i've always said i really like what you do and the reason i think that you know these small pockets of radical thought if you like are so important because people listening to this podcast in their own way learn something each time and are able to feel like they're not trapped in this crazy sphere of life where yeah. Blairism and neoliberalism is all you can talk about yeah because for me i what i found refreshing about what you guys do is that you are talking plainly about what's going on and some people take that as oh don't do real politic or whatever because they swear and they blah yeah, blah yeah. and it's it's like, well, fuck off. Yeah. Like, most, most people swear. No, this is how you engage with real people on their own terms. And the way you do it is also to be fairly funny as well. But, <laughs> but, you know, the guy who sits down and writes 700 words for the Times Red Box or whatever is obviously never going to understand that, mainly because he's probably a boring sod. <laughs>
4: Is it, is it Matt Chorley who does the Times red box? Matt of the worst faces of
5: Twitter. Truly. It, it
4: is a terrible face, but even <laughs> even more terrible is Matt Chorley, who, as far as I know, is a fairly moderate Tory. His latest Times article is about fucking anti-white racism. It's about oh mo- my god, Mon- Monroe Bergdorf. Oh, my <laughs> oh okay, yeah, 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 yeah and yeah. her comments, which were obviously not actually racist. I'm just saying the ludicrous concept of anti-white racism. You know, it's basically a fascist. I just
3: saw something about this before I came on, and he put a line about Saint Jeremy as well, or something. <laughs> and that just shows, goes back to what we were talking about probably four hours ago now, but <laughs> the fact. The fact that they've completely returned to type on this whole St. Jeremy, cult Jeremy stuff that we've seen before the election is now all back. And yeah, yeah, yeah. they be
5: rebuilding their own personality cult and trying to put it on the movement.
6: Yeah,
3: Even when levelling such grand accusations, should I say, of racism, like tackling very serious issues and then belittling them by talking about St. Jeremy.
6: Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. Th- understand that racism is rife in this country and that we're trying to do something about it. Yeah, or, precisely. no, or it's easier to take the piss out of Jeremy.
4: <laughs> it's like, well, one of the things we're trying to do about it is get the perspectives of radical minority ethnic voices to inform our yeah. policy platform, which yeah. is precisely what Labour are doing for somebody who is apparently not even on the right of the Tory party is throwing a fascist hissy fit about.
3: I've seen people coming out and saying that because of a few tweets, she should be removed and it's the same as toby young oh, and oh, toby, toby young was kicked out because of a few tweets it's like no he wasn't kicked out because of a few tweets he was also kicked out for years and years of really weird columns
4: where, yeah <laughs> yeah like <laughs> shit and, fucking and, books Crap yeah, films. And, like,
3: and beliefs that weren't just accidentally or clumsily tweeted at midnight after whatever he drinks, but are like long held and firmly held beliefs.
5: Precise. Yeah, and also, which... he was like removed from his post after an incredibly hard fight by a lot of members in the education sector. Yeah. Who were like, This guy knows literally nothing about education. He has yeah. nothing to do with it. Replace him with someone better. Yeah. Well, which he's... you can hardly argue the same in the situation with Munro Bergdorf because she is exactly the sort of person who should be on this uh, exactly, panel and yeah. should be advising people on misogynoir and trans misogyny and all, the, all of the things that she's there to do. Yeah. I mean... she is yeah. absolutely the expert. Exactly.
4: And what... what What kind of systemic oppression has ever held Toby Young
5: back? But has has literally flicked his way into Oxford.
3: (laughs) No, come on. Let's feel sorry for Toby. He's had a lot of things levelled against him in his life.
4: (laughs) Nobody turning (laughs) up to his stag dude. His stag dude.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Not getting invited to the governor's club.
4: (laughs) I mean, he's a toad, isn't he? So he's always got to watch out for the chemicals in the water. Just make (laughs) make sure he stays straight. (laughs) 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 Then maybe you would have some systemic oppression to advise the Labour Party on. But until then, Toby, until then, fuck off.
3: Until then, <laughs> stick to your free school.
4: Yeah. Can yeah. we wrap this up, guys? Uh, it's, yeah, been, yeah, it's been sure. great, but it's going to be a nightmare to edit. Yeah,
3: and oh, it's yeah. now 10 past midnight. yeah It
4: is indeed.
5: <laughs> I have to be on the picket line at 8 a.m. for fuck's sake. Ah, uh, let's well, still, that's pretty rad. We're going to do our
4: next episode on. Is this what you're going to be on the picket line for, Laura? What we're doing our next yeah, episode UCU, on? Yeah, the strike. Right. Yeah, yeah. The UCU strike, which we're going to have special guest Amelia Horgan on to talk about.
3: We need more coverage of the strike as well because not many yeah not many want to speak about it positively anyway but i again I'm writing an
5: article for the new socialist on it actually oh yeah, fantastic because i've been doing a lot of organizing the solidarity movement in durham so mm. i've pitched to the toms and <laughs> said that i'd write an article about the, the work that i'm doing but i've also just received an email from some lecturers on precarious contracts but I've said they want to speak to me and they want to know if I'll write something for them <laughs> oh.
3: Oh, right. about
5: some of the really shady shit that's been going on. So, I yeah, might,
3: the whole thing about
5: somewhere as well.
3: Reductions in wages if stuff isn't rescheduled and so yeah, yeah, yeah. seems crazy. Gosh. Yeah. And there seems to be like certain institutions that are worse than others at the moment. Yeah,
5: yeah like Liverpool, Sheffield, Leeds as well. I was that, surprised. It, at, oh, yeah. Leeds is just a fucking snake university, though. They've done a lot of really underhand shit to some of their postdocs and stuff. Yeah. But yeah, I think Bath as well have been quite dodgy, but everyone expects that from Bath. It's been bad. Well, <laughs>
4: solidarity.
5: It's, it's a shit time to work in higher education.
4: Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening to Serious Political Discussion Programme, The Real Politic Podcast. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, many thanks to our very special guest, Liam Young, who's been great. Like Liam, thank you for coming on the show. It's been great to talk to you.
3: Thank you for having me.
4: Yeah, thanks for writing the
5: book. It's good.
3: That sounded, that thank you for having me, sounded very much like a Sky News, I yeah.
5: <laughs> Well, you're just preparing for when you go on Sky News. Yeah. It's a yes. big
4: time. But yeah, everyone pick up a copy of Liam's book, Rise. It's out on March the 8th. Eighth? And I'm sure you'll see Liam about a lot in the promotional rounds for it. i yeah. going up and down the country.
3: Club promo.
4: come to the people's bookshop do you like a a launch yeah i am
3: yeah i'm coming up yeah yeah. (laughs) we've got like a tour of the indie shops but also some of the waterstones and things so we'll be around yeah nice one all right well thanks liam but also just something to flag up before we go we should like definitely get a minus gala podcast set up
5: Oh, yeah, get Paul Simpson like, to do something
3: <laughs> Yeah, but no You should do a real politique one for the gala I've
5: asked Paul if he wants to Get someone from the DMA to come on Okay,
3: well, thank you folks so, oh, Thanks man yeah, No problem
5: yeah, good. Yeah. Later, guys. Take yeah, care, speak to you later Have a good week oh, Book yeah. hope It all goes well oh, yeah, yeah.
7: Yeah. Yes, thank
3: you. Thanks
5: This album is
7: very dedicated To so, so all the teachers all right. that told me yeah. I never yeah. You never thought that hip hop would take it this far Now I'm in the limelight cause I rhyme tight Time to get paid, blow up like the World trade Born sinner, the opposite of a winner Remember when I used to eat sardines for dinner Peace to raw g Brucey B, the Capri Fuck master flex, love bug star skee I'm blowing up like you thought I would Call a crib, same number, same hood It's all good uh. And if you don't know, now you know, nigga I made the change from a common thief To up close and personal with Robin Leach And I'm far from cheap, I smoke smoke with my peeps all day Spread love, it's the Brooklyn way The Moet and Allen, they keep me pissy Girls used to diss me, now they write letters cause they miss me I never thought it could happen, it's rapping stuff I was too used to packing gats and stuff Now honeys play me close like butter play toast From the Mississippi down to the East Coast Condos the queens in dope for weeks So out seats to hear Biggie Small speak
6: And if
7: you don't know, now you know, nigga.
6: Uh. And if you don't
7: know, now you know, nigga. Representing B-Town in the house. Junior Mafia.